It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the hardcore legend, the Hall of Famer himself, Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? I am doing great, and it's uh, really good to be back in house in Huntsville. Right? The last time when we did was in uh, Chicago. Chicago. Yep. Uh, Money from Mongo. Dot and, com. Dot com. And hey, I just wanted to let you know, I am going to follow through with the autographed Dick Butkus poster. Awesome. It's just, it's heavy because it's, you know, framed and it's heavy and it's uh, on Long Island. So what I will do is I will make it part of a... a one of those uh, what the, virtual signings. There you go. I'm doing on October 13th, and I'll just say, hey, this is uh, for Mongo, and I'll ask them to waive their fee, and we will try. You know, it's something that's been over my, it was over my bed for over 30 years. Wow. And then the story I shared about Hall of Famer Dick Butkus having the poster in his trunk of his car for, like, 18 months. It's tremendous. It's got some history behind it. He did a nice signature, big, you know, uh, with the silver Sharpie. Uh, so it's a, it's a quality piece of memorabilia. But it's nice to be here, right here in Huntsville, Alabama. I love the cheap pop, baby. <laughs> uh, com, of course, in Chicago, was a huge success as we're recording this. Nearly 20 grand that the, that the world can see. Yeah. I know of some private donations. Put it over the 20 grand mark. Go watch it if you haven't already. It's on YouTube. It's on Fight. It's free. And what a Hall of Fame group, man. I mean, that's a big group uh, of legends on it that was, stage. It was, it was incredible, right? You get JR yep. there and uh, the Nature Boy and Tony Schiavone, uh, Eric Bischoff. Am I missing anybody? Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, who was just on top of his game yeah. at the Flair match. I told him it was like he, I don't know if we, you and I discussed this, it was like he had absorbed every drop of Memphis energy like, yes. over the years, and it was in his blood. and. He was just an incredible performance, uh, and that was a really a fun show. Speaking of shows and Chicago, now I've got an event coming up for Impact. Joe Doring, yes, uh, sir. Joe battled brain cancer six years ago. Um, it's back. Uh, he does have health insurance, but as we both know, man, you talk about cancer, and yeah. now you you lose your ability to make a living, and the, yes. the costs still add up in a hurry. So. December 4th in West Chicago, which is a suburb of Chicago, about 30 minutes away. Uh, the Nice Day Tour, we're just doing this as a straight donation, 100% of my proceeds. Hey, the club takes their percentage, but 100% of what I bring in will go directly to Joe to wow. offset those costs. So if people are interested, uh, you can vouch. It's a good show. Yeah, fantastic. Good show. It's always uh, always picking up little things, uh, little pops and, uh, you know, interchanging new stories with the tried and true. Uh, just go to realmcfoley.com slash events. And if you're in the Chicago area, Chicago land, as they say, we'll try to make it a great night and uh, um, and a really good night for Joe as well. Highly recommend seeing Mick in person if you haven't already. Even if you've read the book, even if you yeah. enjoy the podcast, even if you've seen him before. I yeah. told Mick before we recorded our very first show, I saw you live six times. Six times yeah. Every time was fantastic. Every time was a little different. Yeah. I got my money's worth every time. Thanks, There's a lot of crowd participation, so yeah. no yeah. such thing as seeing the same show twice. <laughs> um, where are you headed to next? Uh, hey, people in New Hampshire can check me out this weekend in Manchester. This is one of those things where I just took it because I love New Hampshire. It's, wow. Yeah, one of my favorite states. It's been... Uh, 
the area where we vacationed for 27 years in a row. We've been up there. So uh, I love uh, the love the state, the Granite State, and it's called Granite State Con, and it's not a big con. This is one where I get a little worried. We're like, wait a second. I'm the top guest, so I'm counting on to actually bring people in. I'm not just, like, getting scraps off of Billy D. Williams' plate or something of that order. But it'll be, it'll be a fun show, and uh, I think the difference between the meet-and-greets after one of my own events is that they have to be quicker because you're getting 100 people through in about yes. 90 minutes, whereas yes. you come to one of these. Uh, I know there's that classic, I will go so far as say, iconic Lonely Virgil photo. Yes. But we've all been there. Unless, oh, yeah. unless you do the two-hour WWE yeah. uh, signing where they make sure their superstars uh, and The Miz are never... <laughs> That's so unfair. The Miz is actually it's exactly, such a great joke. It's though. such a great line. Yes. Um, they make sure that no matter who you are in the card, you're never without a line. Yes. And uh, that's that's great for WWE. It's it's just not realistic for people to put in seven hours a day and to have a crowd the entire time for three days. So yeah. you have the opportunity to come over, catch up a little bit, ask a couple of questions, make a little purchase assist the struggling Foley family. And speaking of assisting struggling people, like the Mazoa drink, I'm just determined. I'm going to go to the mattresses for this guy because I believe in him. Dwayne The Rock Johnson has his own energy drink, and it's it's great. It is the healthiest or least unhealthy energy drink on the market, I believe. And doggone it, we're going to pick that kid up and make something out of him. Good for you, man. Always giving back. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, today we're talking about, you know, where we left off, man. The Summer of Love, 1997, one of my favorite years in wrestling. Probably one of the most, I guess 97 is probably your most important year at that point in your career, right? It you really was. bigger years after, but at I this had point. bigger years as far as popularity, but this was a pivotal year. Yes. Because this is a year where we see the three faces of Foley. Yes. And it gives me longevity that I don't think I would have had if I had just been mankind, no matter how well I did that. Because the three faces of Foley give way to me being known as Mick Foley, which allowed me to make a, you know, it's allowed me to make a living since 2000. In addition to that, you know, there's also, as we talked about in earlier episodes, instead of just having one Funko, now you've got three. So all the licenses. I have a Mick Foley, too. Boom. Four of them. Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) I swear, these Funkos, they just have taken on a life of their own. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I'm trying to think of where. Oh, I did a signing. um, I was uh, at the Nashville uh, Music City card show. And uh, before that, I was in Atlanta. And I would say over the course of the two days in Nashville, I saw six to eight action figures. Right. And the rest is it's Funkos. Wow. It's incredible. And, I, you know, I, if anyone has seen it, I, I do a pretty good job. I think uh, uh, one thing lacking from today's these kids today, uh, you will literally see a squiggle and a line. Uh, passing for an autograph some of the time. And I'm looking at your WrestleMania posters. Like, it just used to be uh, a given that guys took pride in that autograph. Took pride in it. And they grew up, you know, learning the cursive. And so yes. uh, I think when people see my signature and a little bit of the, the catchphrases, it like, it adds a little something. Sure. It adds you know, quite a bit. It doesn't look like a 
fourth four-year-old accidentally put a a scribble. Uh, yeah, a scribble. I'm not naming names, but we know uh, who they are. We know who they are. Yes. And I and I apologize if I told this story. Uh, Michael from High Spots said he had a few you know, pretty big names. In. Oh yeah, big time. And he was saying they didn't put a lot onto the, the, the photos. I thought he was exaggerating. And then he shows me something that is uh, ostensibly signed by three wrestling stars, but it looks like a dash, a squiggle, and a scribble. And I thought, yeah, uh, how do you explain that to people? Like, right. At least, you know, even if it's a Jeff Hardy-like symbol, it looks super cool. Right. So I would just suggest that the guys of today, if they haven't learned it, Work on it. Yeah. Work on it because I think it's important that you have a distinctive, that guys have a distinct, guy, the men and women have a distinctive signature. You know, I never really thought about it, but you're right. I don't even think they teach cursive anymore. I it's not a thing. I heard it's coming back a Is little it? bit. A little bit. But back in our day, you got so used to reading so many different types of cursive because nobody's cursive was the same, identical. Right. That you became really good at deciphering cursive. Yes. And now you hand it to somebody, they have no idea what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's just, uh, all right. We, let's talk about summer long. Let's do it. As long as we're going back and taking a memory a, a trip down memory lane, let's not make it a a sad one no. where I lambast people for their handwriting. And Well, we're going to finish with a hot spot. We always do. Maybe we will. As of now, we do not have a request on Cameo. Of course, this is not an ad. It's yeah. more of a PSA. Yeah. Uh, but if you go to the website and you book a Cameo yeah. with Mick Foley, you're going to get the best Cameo you're in gonna Sports Entertainment. You're going to get the best Cameo in Sports Entertainment. And if you say you would like it to be performed, I won't say we perform it, right? It's a performance. Of course it is. There's costume changes. God, There's music. It's incredible. The effort you put in. <laughs> I mean, in your house, Cameo. Nobody came through more. When it mattered less. <laughs> and with that in mind, <laughs> Let's, that's a new shirt probably by now at this point. It's the night after SummerSlam. Uh, of course, we talked about that on our, one of our more recent episodes. I, well, Conrad, we already have the Mr. In Your House shirt. Can we go back to the printer and put on the back, no one came through bigger when it mattered less? I, I mean, I don't know why we wouldn't do that. I think we've got to. That's a, somebody, that's a whole new life. Uh, if somebody wants to beat me to it and put it on their epitaph, they can. But truly, I am the man who earned that moniker. I mean, that is tombstone worthy. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so you've described how painful that injury was at SummerSlam, which we covered yeah. two weeks ago. Uh, of course, we know Steve Austin's coming out of that show majorly injured. Yeah. I mean, so now two of the biggest stars of the show are hurting for certain. And here you are the night after, and you're supposed to be replacing Steve Austin in the main event yeah. of Raw. But you're pretty hurt that day, Conrad, huh? I would say I was banged up as opposed to injured. Okay. I would say banged up because it's it wasn't so much a head injury, although it could have been a head injury, as it was one of those major stingers. I think when uh, broadcasters talk about a stinger, they're downplaying how important a nerve injury can be, essentially. Um, but, I mean, you, I don't know. I don't want to get into being overly macho, but you get used to that type of thing. You kind of have the dead arm for a few days. You hope it comes around. But it's not the type of thing I could imagine asking for time off on or even accepting if it was offered to me. Because right. at that point, 
I very rarely missed a match for any reason. You know, I, I remember missing four matches because of bronchitis in 1990, uh, a handful of matches for a torn abdominal muscle in, uh, in, uh, 93. And then I had, uh, a knee surgery that I worked around the lost in Cleveland angle when I had reason to believe it was not, not going to be particularly fruitful. And so I was like, hey, I said to Dusty, as long as I'm going to be off TV, can I get this uh, knee surgery? And once it was scheduled, like I was locked in for that time off because I just thought, okay, a few weeks of this, they might have me back out on the road. So I rarely missed matches. And I do not do not think I would have wanted to miss a match or even accepted, like, uh, uh, if they said you're not working tonight, that's one thing. Right. Not working tonight on TV. But if, as far as build uh, advertised matches, I definitely wanted to make those. So take us to the night after SummerSlam. How chaotic is Monday Night Raw? Steve Austin is yeah. the biggest rising star in the company. I think people have identified, hey, he's probably going to be our main event next year sure. at WrestleMania. And now he's down with an injury. And so clearly they had a rough idea of what they wanted to do on that show, especially with a high stakes match like that for the intercontinental title. And somebody's going to have to kiss somebody's ass or all those silly stakes. And now, Hey man, the main event is in jeopardy. Do you remember that being pretty chaotic or is it business as usual from your perspective? No, it was pretty chaotic. And I think I alluded to the fact that I did bail out of SummerSlam early because I was not aware when we talked last week, I think I said, yeah, I, uh, I must have bailed out because I was not aware that Owen was hurt. I mean, sorry that Steve, Steve was hurt. hurt in that match yeah. with Owen until the next day. And I had my wife and my kids with me. And uh, there's a great photo. I think we took the night before, the afternoon before, with uh, me and Steve with the WWE uh, tag team title belts. Yes. And then my wife's in the photo. Didn't even know this photo existed until about a year ago when somebody from WWE sent it to me. And I'm like, I'm really glad I have it. It's a yes. really cool photo. Uh, and then 24 hours later, here's Steve's whole career and his, you know, his well-being is in jeopardy. You know, I remember saying, hey, how'd it go last night, Owen? And he's like, it was going good. And then he explained what happened. Um, I remember, I can't remember who I had the conversation with because, you know, um, uh, it was dealt with Brett, Brett and his injury with Bill, and how sometimes part of what Brett blames Bill for is not more readily calling him. Yes. See, and Steve, uh, you know, he was a little down on Owen because Owen called him after a couple of days, but he didn't continually call him. And I remember saying, those phone calls are really difficult. They're really difficult to have. They're really difficult to have. And it's almost like it's not an excuse for not doing it, but it's a, I mean, it kind of is a reason. It's really difficult when you have the guy on the other line and, you know, you're responsible for, um, you know. To add context yeah. for you saying, it, it's an accident. It was yeah. clearly not intentional. No one intentionally hurts anyone, usually. And that was not the case here. It was, it was an accident. Right. But also, too, when you apologize, that's kind of all you can do. There, it is, it's yeah. not like you can go fix it. It's not like we can change it. It's not like we can improve upon it. But it is just sort of wrestler etiquette to just call and, hey, man, how you doing? Is there anything I can do? Even if the answer is always the same, to just do yeah. that several times, right? That's where the texting and social media has made life a lot easier for the yes. guys. 
somebody's having trouble, you can reach out to them that way. I think over the course of my career, I, I wrote four handwritten letters to people who were struggling physically, emotionally. Um, and the, the handwritten letter is a big deal, even back in the day when people wrote the handwritten letter. Uh, but text messaging is not. It is a substitute. It's not as good or as no. solid as a handwritten uh, card, note, Probably letter. Probably cursive too. If I in cursive, yeah, in cursive. Uh, yeah, it's well documented. Jeff Jeff Jarrett's pretty open about his yes. his uh, uh, struggle and his yeah. you know I think victory. You know, with, oh, with alcohol. And I remember he and I talking for a long time. Is I'd sent him one of those fully handwritten letters when. Um, he was in rehab and he just said that meant a lot like it meant a lot so there are different ways you connect can connect with people and steve was uh hurt you know that owen didn't he thought did not do more i go with the school of thought that the one the one the, the one uh phone call has to be enough yeah because it's so difficult. This is a completely different subject. But Brian Hildebrandt, who is a dear friend of mine and a lot of people who are in WCW, refereed as uh, Mark Curtis and was Jimmy Cornette's right-hand man in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You know, he passed away 23 years ago. Wow. Cancer. And you would call, and it was the toughest call. You know, hey, Brian, how are you doing? Not bad. And you're like... You're almost hearing the seconds tick away. Like, this has to be something of substance. You know, I can't say, hey, just on the way here, you know, I, I ordered some grub up with my mom. And that can be a one-minute call, you know. Right. Do you need something to eat, mom? Here you go. And then call back. Here's the delivery time. But when you're on the phone with somebody, it has to feel kind of substantial. And it's just yes. it's a difficult. That does, it's not an excuse for not doing it. I owe Terry Funk a phone call. And there's a great photo I just saw from ECW where it, the kendo stick is being cracked over his head. Like you can see it actually snapping. And I'm hesitant to share that because that is collectively yes. part of the reason Terry is where he is. Because yeah. he took so much punishment. And uh, uh, so I think to some degree we all feel for someone else's injury. But yes. in the case with Owen and Steve, I mean – Owen had done that type of reverse pile driver quite a bit in Japan, but you can clearly see that Steve's head is uh, hitting the mat. Hitting the mat, and that's one of those things where you're you are depending on the illusion, of yes. it, and there's very little margin for error. I think that's one of the things that worries about me about today's product. There are so many moves that depend on the illusion of having someone dropped on their head, and there's really very little margin for error. And in that case, uh, man, Steve paid a heck of a price for it. Yes. We had to regroup. You know, I would have preferred not to have been in that night's main event. You know, I wasn't at 100%, but uh, we were going to pull together and do what we had to do. Boy, the NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now 
and use promo code Foley to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code Foley only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Well, let's talk about the tag situation for a minute because yeah. you mentioned having that photo taken. You guys are the tag champs. A hilarious photo that I'm sure we'll, <laughs> we'll try. It, yeah. We'll try to throw up. Um, I, I, I want to ask though: Did you know? Did you have an idea where that was going to head? Had the injury not happened, like what would have been the original payoff and storyline? Man. This is still in line with the uh, Canadian-American storyline. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what made it personal between Steve and Brett until Owen started wearing the, you know, Owen 316, I just broke your neck. Um, I honestly, I don't remember what the angle was, uh, why it was Steve and Owen, uh, you know, stemming off from the Canadian versus American thing. So I guess the question I have here is we know that, um, the rumor in innuendo is uh, from the observer that Sean's heel turn is going to wind up costing you and Steve, the tag titles, and that's going to go to Owen and Davey. Did you think that that would spin off into Sean versus Austin? Or did you think it would spin off into you versus Sean? I never, I never saw, ah, man, now I've got to get my dates uh, figured out. The sunny days. That happened in June. Adam and June. Now we're talking July. August. If, August. I did not know that Sean was back in the plans. Okay. Uh, we'd have to have a timeline to see when he came back with DX. Because when Sean came back, he came back better than ever. But I He wrestled, um, he wrestled uh, Austin in June. Okay. At King of the Ring. We did. Yes. And then uh, here in August, of course, at SummerSlam, he was the referee in the main event. And now in September, he's going to be main eventing against The Undertaker at Ground Zero. So that's where we're headed. Okay. Okay. But it does feel like if he's going to cost you, if the story was going to be he costs you or and Steve the tag titles, well, then one of you has to go hook up with him from there. It doesn't feel like that would just transition right into the undertaker. But of course he had just cost the undertaker, the world title in the main event. This is, I'm going to word this delicately, but I think it's safe to say that historically the same attention that has been paid. The WWE title has not been paid to the tag tag titles. titles. Yeah. I can't see costing someone the tag title being a main event like Austin and Sean. Oh, yeah. I just can't see that being the impetus for a feud. I got you. I just want to throw around the word impetus. I like it. And you did it. It's a $5 word, and I like it. (laughs) So the Raw from Bethlehem features Austin and Owen being built like it's going to happen in the main event. But, of course, you step in. It's you versus Owen. Um, (laughs) This is where I stopped reading the notes. I don't like to read the notes because I think uh, if I have a chance to think about the answers, they're not as uh, organic. Organic. And I see that Dave thought we stunk the place up. Well, let's get into it. Meltzer would say the main event saw Dude Love over Owen Hart in 11-18 when Austin KO'd Hart with a slammy. Since Dude does none of the cactus mannerisms and crazy bumps, he wrestles like a second match guy. It was bad. What do you think of the criticism there from Big Dave? Man, I think think Jim (laughs) Jim Duggan 
still has big lines at conventions. Yep. That four star wrestlers don't. Yep. Because he was a heck of a character. Yep. Uh, it was a different era 25 years ago. Dude Love was a largely character <laughs> driven performer, and he wasn't supposed to. Be. Here's, I'm still trying to feel the character out because. Right. At one point, Vince wanted the transition to be complete. You know, this is the evolution your dude love from now on. But I think by the time SummerSlam rolls around, we realize that there's, we don't know the cactuses in the works because I think Vince was still holding out. That was like, uh, that was a, a caveat. He was not willing to. To complete because Dude Love in a way was his baby. Yeah. He heard about it through Bruce when I was the having the conversation. So it's Sean. a WWE deal. He brings it back to life. Cactus Jack was a WCW deal. I had a little issue when they did a special on me as Dude Love, and Vince himself said after experiencing a modicum of success as Cactus Jack, and I'm thinking. Cactus was as successful as he was allowed to be, you know. He may have been a pay per Yeah, he, yeah, it was a really good run, and it was a character that got, helped elevate other characters. So I would say, saying modicum of success, is, you know, is a little unfair. But I understand that's his, you know, Cactus is not his baby. So yes. I don't think, I don't know if Cactus is in the works. Maybe it was, but I wasn't privy to that. But there had to be a reason. I, you, you, dude was in my head. He can't be the tough guy that mankind was because if the characters are going to become, are going to you know, are going to compete in a in the same universe, one of them has to be better than the other, and there has to be a reason to go back there. So I remember thinking, do we have a character who character who is outwardly dismissed the idea of a physical altercation. Like, right. The entire show is based around physical altercation. It can't be tune in, big guys getting along, making valid points, hearing yes. each other out. That's not what we do. No. But do That is what we do on Folius. That is what we do. We make valid points. <laughs> We're two big guys getting and Grillo, big man too. There are three big men in this room. And we get along. We make yeah. valid points. We might not see eye to die. You might go back and watch that uh, that match with me and Owen and go, come back and go, it really was a stinker. My feeling was I'm trying to leave people with a smile on their face. Yes. So in all the time I've been doing my the one-man show, I've had one guy talk to me about my LPMs, the laughs per minute. And I've said, I don't care about LPMs. And he goes, well, no, but you got to work. I said, I do not care about laughs per minute. What I'm interested in is how people feel when that evening is over. Yes. So an LPM is to me like a PPM, like a pop per minute. Well, you need more pops in there. You need more big moves. Where I'm at a disadvantage because uh, even as mankind at my best, I am a genetically restricted performer. There's right. only so much I can do without going to the well of big bumps and creativity and really unusual ideas. And now I have to have a version of myself who is not as good as the already greatly restricted performer. Right. So, I mean, my finish is a kick to the shin, right? Yes. And I would go on. I would say, I know maybe I go back and watch these things, which I don't, and say, okay, they were enjoyable, but not good. But I'll still argue that 
it was exactly what it should have been. Now, if you're saying, if Dave's saying it was a bad match, Owen Hart did not have bad matches. No, he did not. So I'm taking Owen, apparently, to a level. <laughs> well, I think he's got to be grading on a curve. It's bad for Owen. It's bad for me. So, well, well, you know, I remember Barry uh, Blaustein talking about a main event match the dude had with Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And I don't even recall having a match at the Garden with Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And I said, how was it? He was it? He said, it was fun. It wasn't good, <laughs> but it was fun. And I think that's where I would get it. You know, Jim, you know, choked me at the court. Yes. Like, oh, lighten up on me, daddy. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Jay Lethal loved the fact that dude broke kayfabe in the video game. And he's oh, lighten up on me, daddy. Like, actually asking not to be hit as hard. Right? Yes. Uh, but uh, now you go, if the end point, if even if the end point was not, um, was not three faces of Foley and Royal Rumble, if the end point was to have the biggest pop and create the biggest wave possible with the arrival of Cactus Jack in September 1997, that's not possible without dude going, Daddy, these matches are not exactly in my bag, but I know somebody whose bag it indeed is. If dude kicked but and took names. You don't need Cactus So we don't need them. So I'm going to say all ratings are subjective, but my recollection is, given that um, I was banged up, but I would say not injured, uh, that it was what it needed to be for that night. And really, what it needed to do was Owen needed a match that Austin could screw him out of. Yes, and we checked all the boxes yeah. there. And we checked it all. And I remember uh, retweeting, uh, and it was a huge pop, you know, big, deafening. I won't go so far as say Road Warrior-esque, but it was, by Foley standards, a really good pop. And I believe uh, because my wife was with me on that trip that she got to enter the ring and uh, and actually perform uh what appeared to be a sexual act uh with clothing on yeah How about that grinding away at the dude which you're familiar with <laughs> we've met those lovely children uh you wrote in your book the next evening the dude squared off with owen for a match that was memorable mainly for the arrival of the dudettes okay. so congratulate their man on a hard-fought victory actually the dudettes in this case was our seamstress julie mm-hmm. and a hot chick named colette who also happens to be my lovely wife Given her moment in the spotlight, things got very nearly (laughs) X-rated as my wife clearly appeared to be attacking her somewhat embarrassed man on national television. But hey, what the hell? After being alone with the kids 250 days a year, she deserved a little release. She did. Um, Did she ever have any aspirations of doing something in wrestling? Do you have to sell her on this? How does this come to be? You know, she was a natural performer, right? She was a model. And I remember even going to one of her modeling sessions in the early 90s. And she had that it thing, you know. But she decided we did try in the mid-90s. She went back to modeling, you know, in the 30 and older category. And she was doing well enough that she was accepted by Wilhelmina, which is one of the top agencies in the country, but it was she decided she wanted to be a she wanted to be with the kids. Yeah, you can't. And at that point, you had to go on um, go sees. You know, you had to physically go in uh, to the city quite a bit, and it wasn't just a matter of looking at somebody's video or whatever the process is now. Uh, it was a lot, really time extensive, and the jobs that were landing were not worth her being away. 
I was going to Japan about 10 days every month, uh, working every weekend. So uh, Tough to do. Yeah, it was, t- it was tough to do both, but she had a chance to do it, and she uh, she really enjoyed it. So she, when she had a chance to do her few things on TV, she uh, really bit into it, but it wasn't like a bug. It wasn't like she ever said, hey, could I do more? She did one little thing with me in ECW. She did something to Joel Goodhart's TWA where she uh, helped uh, – escort me back after I'd done the hangman and the barbed wire. But I think those were, and then of course she was in beyond the mat. Yeah. uh, So, uh, Holy Foley, uh, um, the, uh, uh, the wife, wife swap. So over the years, she's done little bits and pieces, but never had a desire to be. Wife swap was a TV show on ABC. (laughs) I just want to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. Uh, I I do want to ask, you know, we've heard these famous stories of the first time, Cornette meets with Candido, he meets Tammy. Yeah. And the first time Vince meets with Mark Miro, he meets Rena. Yeah. And these light bulbs go off with these promoters and they say, Hey, do you want to do something? Because they recognize, boy, they've got star quality and the camera loves them. And now here your wife is a, you know, former professional model and you've got this new look and persona did vince try to or russo try to convince you to say this should be part of the act not never to my knowledge okay never to my knowledge that was uh it may have been discussed internally but it was never it was never brought up to me if it would have been you know because you were traveling with the kids a little bit at the time would that have been something you would have tried your hand at or would you have said nah let's just keep my wife away from the business wow well it was her decision to be home with the uh the boy uh noel and, and dewey as they were growing up and later with mickey and yui i don't know that we that would have been an interesting bridge to cross you know maybe a tv deal uh just uh, where she comes on tv but yeah. clearly mankind you know didn't, didn't beg for or neither did cactus you know the dudettes were kind of uh you know whoever happened to be <laughs> local yeah, <laughs> yeah. Local, she could have been your Kimberly talent. Page, though. She could have been my Kimberly. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, things worked out pretty well. Oh yeah. Uh, Would you have been open to it? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I've heard uh, other guys say, "Whatever you do, don't." don't let your oh, because of the curse of the yes. uh, oh, the working yourself into a shoot. I think I may have already been cognizant of that, mm-hmm. and that may have been a discussion. We're talking 25 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know if it ever never came up internally, but it was never something that was on the board. It was on the board for me to do something with Rena, you know, uh, with uh, uh, Sable. Sable. And we saw that play out just a tiny bit with Mankind and yeah. later with Dude. but Mommy. Yeah, with Ma. <laughs> yeah, but it never, never really amounted to anything. So uh, in the locker room, um, I- I'm wondering – you know, how is this received Steve's injury? You know, we, we sort of talked about how yeah. it affected Steve and how it affected Owen. And boy, this, this sounds negative, but a lot of times when a top guy goes down and we just saw this, this past weekend with the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott goes yeah. down. Now there's a new kid getting a new shot. You know, it's unfortunate that Dak's hurt, but it does represent opportunity to other yeah. guys when a top guy goes down or this, in this instance, it's Steve Austin, how do you remember that being received? Did they know there was some underlying Steve's upset about Owen? And uh, talk me through you know, that. First and foremost, I think, especially when somebody gets a neck injury, yeah, we all understand the our severity. Um, so I don't think anybody feels 
good. I think we all like we all liked Steve to this day. We all do locker room leader. We're battling for our lives, you know, our uh, our professional lives in the Monday Night War. So in no way is this a good thing. As it turned out, Steve's popularity only increased when he was out. And it culminates, uh, you know, with Vince McMahon taking the second worst stunner in history, topped yes. only by his own stunner at WrestleMania. Yeah, which yeah. was far worse than that one in 97. But at the Garden, we're all watching. Oh, my goodness, here it is, the payoff. And it's the worst stunner in history. By the way, in hindsight, how fitting is it that we haven't seen Vince do much at WrestleMania ever? And then knowing what we know now, it's going to be his last WrestleMania. It gives us a send-off for the ages. Uh, that only he could. I was just, once I, I you know, I my son, Mickey, had the presence of mind to record me laughing for about 25 seconds. Yeah. So we posted it. I think it was already up to like 20,000 likes five minutes in when I realized, I hope he's not hurt. Like, here's a guy right. who tore two quadriceps. Like, I don't know if that's... I tried to walk it off. Tried to walk it off. <laughs> Cut his promo. <laughs> Spread eagle. Seated. He's seated. Yeah. Still, still cut his promo. But going back to the Steve situation, I think we all realize it's an enormous hole that uh, on the roster. It takes what had been a really good, feel-good moment at SummerSlam, which may have been... The night, oh, many gimmicks, but still it was, uh, I thought it was a really successful pay-per-view and people enjoyed it. It was a financial success. And here we are the next day in Bethlehem and we're without our leader. Right. So, I mean, I'm happy to do the main event, uh, even if it was a stinker. Uh, and Steve was there to hit Owen with the slammy, which is crazy. This is the night after the injury. He didn't want to lose that spot, baby. Just crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking back at the gimmick, the gimmick, it was a butt-kissing thing. Yes. So think about the courage it took for Steve. Uh, you know, you look in, uh, I mean, the roll-up. Uh, it was not great. It was not great, he but couldn't still, do anything else. any other any other sport or business. It's over. It's over. Boom, strap down, match stops, this and that. And it's like, we're going to continue. Owen's going to buy time until Steve can make his way over and roll him up. Um, so you don't have that work. I and mean, what are you going to do? What are you, Steve you couldn't have that character kiss gonna, someone's ass. No. Yeah. No. So I, I guess what I'm trying to ask, and, I, and boy, I'm not trying to be negative here, but sometimes in wrestling sounds when, to me like you know you're going negative well because i know this is going to get quoted well, yeah. and 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 spun into me dumping on somebody and i don't mean to Who but some it? seth rollins so seth rollins you and i both believe to be one of the best wrestlers yeah. in the world but he did have a couple of guys he worked with who, for whatever reason, got hurt. Finn Balor got hurt. Sting got hurt. And so there started to become a narrative online. And I don't know what the locker room felt, but there was a narrative online that, boy, maybe Seth isn't as safe as we thought or whatever. Can and I interject heard, myself in there? Well, I just wanted to ask about Owen, because Owen in this moment is one of the most beloved figures yeah. in wrestling, as we're talking now in 2022. And yeah. amongst the locker room yeah. in 97, he was. Did, the narr- did anyone feel that way about him at all or did they tr- did everyone just unanimously say oh it's an accident i if i if there was any knock on owen i did not hear it yes uh, i did not feel it um owen i mean like i said he steve's head was out there by a few inches yeah um 
which is why it was so surprising because I'd seen Owen, uh, you know, in New Japan. I'd seen Owen in uh, as the Blue Blazer earlier right. on in WWE, which was like a toned down Owen. We all knew what he was capable of. Saw the some of the stuff after the fact that he did in Calgary, which was just mind blowing by the standards of the day. And he was an immaculate performer who always had, uh, you know, his opponent's well-being at the front of his mind. So I think it was just a terrible accident. When it comes to uh, Seth Rollins, I remember, you know, Brad had written an article. Yes, yes. And, uh, man, so I looked at it like, look, and I think I wrote about it. I said, I think the Achilles, where they used to say, um, with boxers, it's the, the legs are the first thing to go. Yes. But we're talking about guys who are in their thir- Ali was 34, and it's like his legs are going. 34 for a boxer was old, whereas yeah. in wrestling, you know, you get as your physical skills are diminishing, your ability to control a crowd can be increasing to where you're having matches that are as good or better than they were at your physical peak. Correct. But where I think the Achilles heel may be is in the next strength. So for me, the chin to chest, you know, it's boom, it's it's there. It's, you know, the first thing you learn is ingrained in your chin to chest. But I would see now that I was getting my bell rung by moves that were normal moves. Yes. And I just speculate, I can't prove this, that it's like, you know, instead of being here and now if you go back, you're making a little bit of contact. But as that neck strength goes you take that bump whether it's you know a buckle bomb or a rock bottom and just because of natural aging you just can't hold it so to me that was there's no other reason why undertaker would have suffered such a debilitating concussion at mania yes against brock uh the buckle bomb looked pretty safe to me it was sting but you're talking about a guy who was then in his 50s yes and look uh man fergal devitt uh, Finn Balor. He's. I said the next day. I. I. He's an artist. Like yes. I. I sat there with Stephanie and I just marveled. Like I understand there's the leg slapping going on, but life of me, I don't see it happening. Like I know it's happening because yes. I hear it, and I just I got emotional because the fans had booed those guys out of the building over right a belt before, over which a belt, stupid. which was stupid. Yeah, and that was a good sign that we all need a break after four hours. Yes. That anything over four hours is going to be counterproductive. Yes. And, and I think you and I have talked about the magic moment and how it's so hard to have one of those magic moments at the five-hour mark. Yes. So why even – so if your main event is going on and it has little to no chance of being as good as it can be, divide it into two days. Yes. And I think WrestleManias have been seen as being much more enjoyable and memorable because of the two-night split. I would agree. But on this day, what I'm saying is I don't want to kick somebody when he's down, but Fergal or uh, Seth, Seth, not Seth, Finn, Finn looked backwards uh, on the bar. Look, I part of what we need to do in order to keep pushing the bar is to take normal moves that are relatively safe in ring. Yes. And and increase their danger by doing them on the side of the ring, you know, yes. on the, uh, or on the barricade. And there's just not much room for error. And in this case, Finn looked back. So instead of landing flat, he's landing more on one shoulder blade than the other yeah. at, at, at an angle. And that's where the labrum gets torn. What a testament to that guy, that artist, yes. uh, Finn, that he's able to complete a 26-minute match 
and a damn good match that the fans, you know, turned on. But I, I remember going up to uh, Seth and saying, you know, and I, I didn't did not know Seth that well, despite the fact that he's, you know, Becky's significant other, and I'm tight with Becky. I still don't know Seth that well. Went to see Lion King with them at the movies, you know. So I really like Seth. To me, he's my second pick, second most valuable player in the business, male performer. I'd go with Moxley as my first, and that's not even based on. Um, the uh yeah, quality. Seth quietly has had a wrestler. He's had an year. amazing yes. year. He reinvented himself. Yes. Going back to Moxley, it's the the idea of taking on all comers, looking like a real world traveling champion. Especially want, given current circumstances. Yeah, given yeah, it's amazing what he's done. But yes. Seth Rollins, he reinvented this character, which a lot of people were doubting. You yes. know, the laughter um, there's a great clip, by the way, which I think we can find of Santa himself doing the Seth Rollins laugh. <laughs> can we can we cue that? Up? We do have that. Okay, let's roll that. <laughs> so Seth started winning it over with this, yes, kind of with the extreme outfits. No telling what he's able to write off on his taxes because the deal when it comes to the taxes is. In order to write it off, it has to be something that can't be worn in everyday use. So a regular sports coat cannot be written off, whereas the yellow sports coat that someone wins for the golf title, that can be written off. I think Seth can make a great argument that there's nowhere in the world no, that this type of... only on TV. <laughs> ...is attire is appropriate. So anyway, just setting the table saying, I, at this point, this is six, seven years ago, 2016. Yes, I, I don't know Seth particularly well, but I said, Seth, I see, you know, man, you're kind of taking a beating. He's like, I know. I said, how would you feel if a wrestling legend were to write an article in your defense? And he said, would you be that legend? I said, yeah. And he goes, I, I, I'd really like that. And so we can go back and find it. But uh, in no way, shape, or form do I want to be at odds with Brett Hitman Hart. Although Brett does not write his own songs for Cameo. No, he so, does not. Okay. I think uh, he'll he'll even uh, admit that. Uh, but I don't want to go head-to-head with a guy I like and admire like Brett. But because Brett's opinion carries so much weight, I just felt like if I've got another opinion, then I, I needed to share it. So, no, I uh, I don't think, think Seth was dangerous. I just think by the nature of the business, injuries are going to be more plentiful. Uh, they're not especially in this more modern era where you've got all these crazy dangerous moves it's not body slams and headlock takeovers and spinning toe holds anymore nothing wrong with that but if we're going to turn up the excitement well the risk goes with it and yeah i never thought it was fair that seth was painted with that brush but i wondered with a guy who is almost universally beloved and probably i know he is now but probably back in 97 was as well with owen that didn't affect him at all. No one saw him as that. It was an anomaly. It was the exception, not the rule. That's the way I believe it. Okay. Blue Chew. Proud sponsor here of Foley is Pod. And so glad that we get to talk about Blue Chew. By now, you know, as Mick and I like to say, it's a hot tag for your wiener. Guys, confidence can take you far in life. It can also help in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to uh, <clears throat> step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. 
You can take these dudes anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. You'll sign up at BlueChew.com. You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. It really is that simple. And the best part, it's all done online. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacies. Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But there won't be anything discreet about your package. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Bluetooth can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Bluetooth free when you use our promo code Foley at checkout. Just pay the $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is Foley, and you'll receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's episode. So the next week at uh, Raw, you're in Biloxi, Mississippi, and you're going to cut a promo on Sean, and he's, of course, now a heel, and he's going to appear on the screen and make fun of you. Here's the Observer write-up. He says, Dude Love did a 70s-style superstar Billy Graham interview. Michaels appeared on the screen and made fun of him for being out of date. <laughs> Fans are into Dude Love as this inside rib they're a part of, but the interview <laughs> was like a green rookie copying Billy Graham or Dusty Rhodes and not that well. The two groupies that go after him are his <laughs> wife, the taller one, and a former girlfriend of Michael's. Um, what do you remember of this promo and uh, this this night? <sighs> well, Dave was really down on my work. I have he to did tell not you, like Dude Love. I still, well, you know, it's funny. After all these years, Undertaker will admit the character he did. <laughs> after all the business he did with mankind and, you know, riding together with cactuses, like, now he's this guy? So yes. Dude wasn't everybody's cup of tea. I stopped. I didn't read any of the newsletters for right. years because I remember my first month or two with the company, you'd come off the road for 10 days and then that one thing can throw you off for your, you had three days off, but essentially you're traveling eight hours for one of those days and the next day you're getting ready. So you have a yes. day and a half off and there's no way as a dad I could justify not being the best dad I could be because I happen to you know, read a, a. You don't want to be in your head. Yeah, I don't want to be in my head, whether it's deserved or not. I, at this point, I got twelve years in. Uh, I know when something's working. Yes, and you so, do. So, so Dave will say the fans are into dude. You know, and it's like, you know, we don't have Billy Graham to compare it to. And right. I'll say you've seen me do dude here a lot of times, right? Yeah. It's like anything; you get better with repetition. It's a character that's not unlike the other characters, Mankind and Cactus, who are a dial up to 11. This is a fictional character. This yes. is not me in the least. This is me pretending to be cool. And it's accepted by fans as kind of a fictional portrait. So, uh, you know, to me, Biloxi at that point was one of the few uh, places that I could go to with my family. So we go from being in... Um, uh, flying up there to be part of the, the SummerSlam. And then we go to Santa's Village. We come back, and now it is a drive to... Navarre is what, Navarre, three hours? About three hours from yeah. Biloxi. Now, unbeknownst to anybody, did you know the injury I was working through that day? No. <laughs> a jellyfish to end all jellyfish stings. I'm, you know, I go out, we buy those little paddle uh, bicycles where you're floating on the water, yes. you know, the three wheelers. I dive underneath. We go to the ocean before Raw. I dive underneath like a bop and oh, daddy, and I feel this in 
unimaginable pain in Biloxi. In Biloxi, so bad that I wondered if a child could have survived it. Like it just hurts so bad that you can barely move. And when I dragged myself up onto the shore, I mean, there are lashes wrapping. I remember taking a shower in Biloxi. Literally, there are tentacles wrapped around. I have no idea. I can only uh, think it was a man of war. Now, someone might say man of war wouldn't be there in Biloxi. I can only tell you, as a guy with the, the fairly high threshold for pain, that uh, it was nauseating how bad it was. Uh, I was asking for the meat tenderizer because apparently meat tenderizer works on... We, you know, we didn't have meat, te- Adolph's meat tenderizer just hanging around, uh, the beach in Biloxi. I don't mean to get too personal. Yeah. But. No, I didn't. Did you ask Mrs. Foley to pee on you? Because Chandler Bing peed on Monica in, in Cheers, right? Yeah. And they. Friends, were, maybe. French friends. If it happened in Cheers, that's a different <laughs> circumstance. Maybe on DVD. <laughs> I'm not sure, but. Joe, yeah, because Joey uh, got stage fright, couldn't be on Monica. Chandler did indeed, and they just decided not to talk about it. Like it was this horrible thing. It was like from the uh, from the crash landing in the Andes, where the survivors had to eat each other to yes. survive. It was kind of long. <laughs> I, I, I just know at a family outing, it could be hilarious. Uh, is mom peeing on dad? Yes, brother. <laughs> Mom is peeing on dad. <laughs> yeah. And it would have been completely justified. Yes. And I can't tell you, uh, my wife would have gone that extra mile, the type of person she is. She would pee on me in a heartbeat if I needed I hope we tell. clip that and use it forever. <laughs> uh, so you said a minute ago you're in the shower and you had tentacles. You just meant the scars or the wound. Yeah, yeah. The, not the actual The tentacles, thing lets you go. But the wrapping around. Uh, Did you just, feel it wrap around you? Well, I just... Whoosh, it felt like the harshest uh, whipping type of thing I could imagine, uh, almost paralyzing <laughs> in scope. And it was clear that I'd been through something when I got to Biloxi. So, and you uh, still had to go do your job. I still had to do the job. And I do believe I wrestled as mankind against Sean. And yeah, that's did. exactly right. And we did have a good, albeit short match, but uh, if Dave says it wasn't good, he's just flat out wrong. I mean, I think that's pretty cool that you've, you're going to come down with a trash can, toss it in the ring right away, and you guys uh, work it over early. Then you get the mandible claw on him while in a trash bag. Yeah. And a lot of the match commentary is spent talking about, you know, extreme and ECW. And of course this is because Jerry Lawler is going to be taking on Tommy dreamer at hardcore heaven. Um, but it's, it's interesting that this is happening mm-hmm. for you at this point, because this is the first time we're seeing you really go back and forth in mm-hmm. the same night. Same night, Yeah. Yeah. So we had seen, you know, uh, when you're at the top of the, the cage and you rip the thing open and you see your, your heart tattoo or scribble as you described it. But yeah. this is, Pretty innovative. I don't think anything like this had been done in wrestling no, before, had it? Not that I know of. Uh, and it was innovative. And I think I said on a previous show that if fans found out they were not getting dude love, they were a little let down because this is the feel-good story. And I realize now when I question whether Sean was there or not, clearly I was off because he did come back as a heel and he was an excellent heel. Uh, so I guess the time off after the, you know, the Brett uh, blow up was pretty minimal. Yeah. But I remember Corny coming to me and saying, your ship has just come in. And what he meant by that is that Sean had left 
so you the company. Can move up. And so it was at that point a boom, a little, you know, uh, a bump, a bump up uh, the the roster. So you had had a phenomenal match with Sean at Mind Games in 96. Uh, Meltzer loved this rematch here. Uh, lots of brawling, brutal moves, including Sean bouncing your head off the post a few times, mm-hmm. a back suplex onto the announcer's table when the table doesn't break. Uh, I mean, I think fans have an idea, but most of us have never been slammed on an announcer's table, much less one that doesn't break. Does it hurt more when it doesn't break? This is circa 97. They yes. didn't have the new tables in there, right? Yeah, I think these are the the same kind the that wooden, just the, we uh, were familiar with, with the little cover, and then there's the monitors. But I don't know that we're all the way in full breakaway mode yet. It seemed like a back suplex should have broken a standard table. They do hurt more if they don't break. Yeah. Yeah, the break kind of cushions the fall, and yeah. you want it to happen right in the middle yes. uh, because it's a more aesthetically pleasing break. I mean, these days, if you break it like two-thirds of the way down, most fans will see it as a botch. And I think most wrestlers will respond to it like it was, you know, like the table leg happens to be in a little bit. Yes. You hit it, it breaks kind of. If you, if you don't go right through that bad boy, it hurts more, uh, injuries are more likely, and you will be uh, ridiculed in sh- the newsletters. We should mention that uh, during the commercial break, Sean does an elbow drop all, uh, off the apron onto the table. That's not something that would happen in yeah. modern WWE. They would be buying time until it came back. But there's a big spot there that happened. Big in the spot. Commercial. And I remember Sean did something with the mask. Like he was, you know, granted people knew what I'd look like underneath the mask, uh, so it wasn't like the source of my superpowers. But he had the mask, and he was like ridiculing the mask itself by yes. acting like he was afraid of it on his hand. And he was he was a great interpreter that way, right? A great, you know. A guy who could play off anything, including uh, a mask on his head. Hunter and China come down to join him during the match. So we really start to see, hey, they're going somewhere with this. Yeah. And, and during the big brawling segment, JR actually brings up Cactus Jack. So this might be the first time that we get an inclination. Hey, well, that hasn't been acknowledged on TV before. Maybe we're going to see something else here. I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you what used to drive me freaking crazy is <laughs> I remember being backstage at WWE and Wade Barrett was a big Cactus fan. And Wade Barrett would go bang, bang, and he would drop the elbow and the fans would chant Cactus Jack and our announcers wouldn't acknowledge it. And I'd be like, I'm in your Hall of Fame. Like, yes. I'm right here. Yes. If you're going to acknowledge the Luthez president, I'm not saying I'm Luthez, but I'm a WWE Hall of Famer yes. who's being, you know, uh, spotlighted. Paid homage to, yeah. You paid homage to. And I was like, did someone not get the memo that I don't have heat with the company, that I'm actually backstage? And I was like, I don't, for the life of me, see what the rationale is behind not acknowledging it. Just maybe my pet peeve. Maybe Undertaker was producing the announcers and he just <laughs> forgot. He's done that before. Has uh, he really? Well, he didn't remember it. Hall of Fame. It was a. Oh, no, we're not going there. We're not going there. We're good. You saw us together at Flair's last I'm match. just kidding. Come on, Conrad. So Come on. Sean's bleeding and all of a sudden down comes Rick Rude. Boy, you hadn't seen Rick Rude yeah. since your WCW days. Uh, what did you think about Sean being brought in as, or Rude being brought in as Sean's insurance policy? This is quite well, the presentation. Hey, uh, Rude, what an amazing worker he was. Yes. You know, career cut short because of a back injury. 
Uh, only guy to ever appear, I believe, on both WCW and WWE. The same, same night. Because I get credit, you know, I people give me, you know, credit for uh, missing one day of work, you know, when Brett, uh, after the screw job. Root basically took off, didn't he? Yes. That was, uh, and then, uh, I mean, they replaced him the next week, ultimately, you know, he hadn't been there long enough for that to, you know, be really that meaningful. Um, but I loved Rude, and I really liked him personally, and it surprised a lot of people that he and I were really good personal friends whose wives kept in touch and who uh, came, you know, went over each other's house for dinner and things of that nature. And I understood, you know, universally respected guy, good guy to have in the dressing room. Uh, and it was just uh, an indication of, you know, how much the company was going to invest in that in that uh, faction. I mean, let's talk about it. This match is the creation of DX by and Pretty large. Much, yeah. And uh, Rude crushes you with a big um, guitar shot, or not guitar shot, chair I got shot. Jeff Jarrett on the brain, chair shot. So this is going back to the same type of chair shot, I believe, that I took the ridicule for when we covered TNA. Yes. With the not blocking at all. And I was like, guys, a magician's not supposed to reveal his secrets, yes. right? But when people are worried about brain trauma, and I can assure you that nine-tenths of that, it was blocked. Yes. You know, I was uh, good at a few things. One of them was getting that hand up there in a hurry to where most people didn't see it, especially depending on the – I'm almost sure it was the baseball swing type of shot, but I, I – It's couldn't. amazing that this is happening so close to SummerSlam, though. You're getting the, the cage to the head, mm -hmm. now a big mm -hmm. chair shot. And you're switching between being Mankind and Dude Love at the house shows in the next week, battling Hunter in False Count Anywhere matches, tagging with Undertaker and Goldust and a six-man against Brett, Bulldog, and Pillman. Uh, on, As Dude? Uh, yes. Um, oh, on Raw from Atlantic City, you and Taker are going to team up in the main event to take on Sean and Hunter. DX is really starting to take shape. At this point, you know, they're trying to move Hunter up. Of course, famously, he was probably supposed to win the King of the Ring mm -hmm. in 1996. It winds up being Austin's turn. He gets the nod here in 97, but sometimes the King of the Ring doesn't actually mean anything long term. But to be tagging with Sean against Mankind and Taker, well, now that's a big vote of confidence for Hunter. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree that we still did not come up with a reason for Undertaker and Dude to be teaming. No, we agree. There was never any uh, mending of the ways, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say uh, the the King of the Ring tends to be what you make of it, right? Uh, Booker, for example, uh, Owen. Uh, they would be the two to to me. Uh, with all due respect to King Corbin, I think uh, Booker and Owen played it up the most. Oh, and sure. Owen made such a big deal out of the Slammies, yeah, which he wasn't even nominated for in '97. But went up there and claimed it for best bow tie anyway. One of the great uh, acceptance speeches. I did it, Bulldog. You might have two titles, but you don't have two Slammies. And then uh, ended up dumping 10 pitchers of iced tea on Leon White in the process. Great story in the archives. Go check it out here on <laughs> Foley's Pod. This tag match we're talking about is most remembered for Rick Rude once again using a chair, this time to absolutely destroy The Undertaker. Uh, Undertaker does a big-time blade job here, a lot of juice. Ooh. We didn't see a lot of blood in this era, but there is a ton here. And this is after the WWF has been taking WCW and Ted Turner to task about their blood. 
And now here's like a new level of it on and TV. It's rude. It's rude's chair shot. Oh, you're Sean's. right. It's Sean's. Yeah, Sean's. Sean's. Okay, which makes more sense yes. because they head into SummerSlam. Yes, and they have a really good a good rivalry and a good build. So I guess well, in- the chair shot happened at SummerSlam, the first okay. one. Okay, but he, exactly. here we are again in Raw. So you're right. It's another crazy chair shot on the Undertaker, but this time with a ton of blood and not not on on the pay per view, but on TV. Yeah, and given your hardcore history. Uh, You've got to be excited to see, wait a minute, we can do that on TV now? Did you feel like, boy, the winds of change are, are here? Conrad, this is where I believe uh, fans will appreciate my honesty when I tell you I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A damn thing about it. Sure. I, I should. I should remember main event with Undertaker. I it, don't. It was a hell of a chair shot and a lot of blood. A lot of blood. Okay. Yeah. Okay, guys, got some big news for you. A day one sponsor for us here on the program. Chili Sleep is now known as Sleep Me. That's right. Sleep Me is the new home for Chili Sleep. They're still bringing you the same great sleep that Chili Sleep offered, but under a new name. Sleep Me makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures, promoting deeper restorative sleep. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, that's what I've got, the Cube, and now the Doc Pro Sleep Systems. Here's the deal. They're water-based, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. And I want to mention they launched that brand new Doc Pro Sleep System. It has two times, two times more cold power than the other models. It's also whisper quiet. And it has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. Pair it with the new Sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. Head on over right now, sleep.me forward slash Foley to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc, Pro, Cube, or Uller sleep system. Now, this offer is available exclusively for Mick Foley listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S-L-E-E-P dot M-E slash Foley to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Seriously, y'all, it costs nothing to look, as our old pal Jim Ross says. Go take a look, sleep.me forward slash Foley. You're going to feel better. You're going to get a great night's sleep. And can you even imagine waking up and not feeling tired? I'm doing it. Thanks to sleep.me forward slash Foley. Uh, on the shotgun tapings, you team with Goldust and a losing effort to Owen and Bulldog. Uh, Goldust at this point, it feels like the company has maybe lost a little interest in the character. Not to say that Dustin's not a worthwhile performer, but man, he was just on fire in 95 fire and 96. Yes. People are afraid of that character, you know, maybe afraid of what it said about themselves. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, the double entendres. uh, Imagine how that character would would be debuted today. It would not be nearly the same reception. Yeah. That says a lot about us. About us and where we've come as a society in 26 years. Um, But, yeah, that scared a lot of people. It was a great character. He always had the uh, famous quote from uh, Hollywood production. Uh, the build to the, to the stuff he did with Roddy was just incredible. And of course, the, the white, um, wasn't a suburban, 
What what type of truck? Oh, the Bronco. The white Bronco that Roddy Piper would later uh, he would drive it home. Jr. wrote about that after Roddy passed away. Roddy asked what they intended to do with the Bronco. They had no idea. He said, you mind if I keep it? They canceled Roddy's flight back to Portland, and he drove the white Bronco from Los Angeles to Portland. How about that? Yeah. I mean, if I know anything about Mick Foley, he said, hey, can we do one of those car matches <laughs> with a van? That'd be great. Some tricked-out speakers, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got a red Chevy Venture. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you wind up defeating Rockabilly on Friday night's main event when okay. Raw is preempted. And we're still a few months away yeah. from Road Dogg and Billy Gunn right. becoming the New Age Outlaws. But, boy, after a great run with the Smoking Guns, poor Rockabilly. Poor Rockabilly comes out with the bedazzler. Right? It just says Rockabilly. Well, there's just an example going back to Dude trying to find his feet. Now, yes. Dude was finding his feet with a push. Yes. But it, Billy Gunn, you know, was clearly, you know, a ta- talented guy, smoking guns, you know, is is like the end of the, that era of... Uh, he was a veteran then, he, and he's on yeah, TV now. He's on TV now, and he looks crazy. better than he ever did. Yes. And he's on TV and largely because of the success of, you know, the, the New Age Outlaws. Yes. And the, the, the uh, alignment with DX. So he was a guy... Trying to find something, and then he and uh, Road Dog have a couple of matches on the road, and they click. Yeah, uh, matches against each other. Uh, before that, I remember, uh, you know, Jim Neidhart we was back, and uh, you know, Jim had come been in WWE in the era where the matches were not as competitive on TV, and he's given fifteen minutes with Road Dog, and he asks him like, oh, "Do you think I can just beat you up for fifteen minutes?" And Road Dog said. Yes, you can. Like, that was where his character was at that time. Yeah. And then when those guys got together, like, that spark was just about instantaneous. But, again, it's a feeling out process when you're trying to uh, you're trying to connect with the audience. And you don't know what works unless you find out what doesn't. We don't talk a lot about the current stuff here on the program, but since mm-hmm. we've had a lot of sidebars, here's one more. Sure. Uh, have you been watching any of the current AEW stuff lately? You know, I mean, uh, the uh, rumors really piqued my interest and I did, uh, I did watch the entire show on Wednesday. Uh, so what do you think about Scissor Me Daddy? <laughs> I don't understand it, but it's clearly working. How crazy it's is clearly, it that that's over that big? And here's the thing is like, all right, now, all right, let's just take, apparently I'm a little sensitive about this dude loves stinking up the joint place. No one's paying to see Dan Housen have a five-star match. No. They are paying good money, and especially in merchandise. Clearly, people love this guy. Yes. And they are paying. They, they want to see him because he makes them smile. Yes. And he makes people feel good about wrestling and the yes. time they've invested. Like Orange Cassidy. Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. Uh, now, without Dan Housen referring to Billy's boys as the ass boys. Yes. Then he's there's no scissor me, Mister Ass, right? right? Or Daddy Ass. So this is Daddy Ass as opposed to Mister Ass. So this is clearly the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So and I remember Danhausen just being this mild mannered young man who worked my table at like four conventions because he was dating a friend of mine whose wedding I later officiated on. Say yes to the dress. And now he finds his gimmick. He lives it. I mean, he I'm not on the impression he lives it when he's home, but he's always in character. Uh, started getting over. I remember, remember praising him on social media. 
And then I remember him asking if he could talk to me because he got the the offer from ROH. So I probably spent an hour on like he's a he's a good guy and a good friend, and I'm really happy for him. But he is a testament to the idea that we are essentially that three ring circus yes. that tries to provide something for everyone. So Dude Love may not have been the tightrope walker, but he was one of seventeen clowns climbing out of the trunk of a pinto in order to entertain you. So thumbs up, thumbs down on Scissor Me Daddy. Thumbs up. Oh, there you I go. love it. Yeah. Why is that something that's even up for debate? Well, I just, uh, th- there is some, fo- there is a little bit of pushback online with people. Oh, this is stupid. And it's like, that's, it's is supposed it to be. It's supposed like, to be. I just saw it for the first time. And I, first of all, the, you know, the guy kind of, the, I should know the names, but I don't. Uh, Max Caster, yeah, Anthony Bones, yeah, and the, the and the two guys that my son Dewey absolutely loved working with in um, uh, two hundred five live, the one it's turning me on. Uh, these guys, he loved working with. You know the guys I'm talking about. Uh, again, I should know the names. It's hard when you're just trying to watch five wrestling shows a week, and sure. you know you're not watching. But these guys, the, the guy really turned it on for a very memorable, uh, you know. Um, deep promo because and it what made it memorable and deep was the fact that he does not usually do deep it's usually uh, you know it's turning me on and it's comical so when you take a character that's largely known for comedy effect and give him some grit it can really mean something case in point if somebody were really to attack our beloved Danhausen and he has to dig deep and he can't rely on the spells could come up with something really cool by taking a beloved character and making him dig deeper than he ever yes. has before. And that's I think we'll of, get there. I think we'll get there eventually. You know, we're they're definitely lay I, I enjoyed the show. I'm gonna say I'll probably take some criticism for this, being a guy who did a lot of risky stuff, but you notice there's no scar on my neck. Yeah. From the you would think I would have been one of the first guys Absolutely. in line for that surgery. I did not let people throw me backwards. Very often. There'd be yeah. a time I got Rick Steiner would throw me whether or not I wanted to go. But I generally had a plan B. I'm just, I don't like German suplexes. I think that over time, they shorten careers. They do. And they destroy the quality of life. So people can attack me for that. No, you, but I there's think no attacking you. I mean, look what happened to Big E this year. Yeah. Uh, one, you know, the little margin for error. I'd yes. say there's more margin for error on the German suplex, but that it's just over time. It's going to wear you out. You couldn't show the match uh, that Garcia had uh, with uh, Yuta to any reasonable orthopedic guy who would say that what those guys were doing was well, not safe. going to lend itself to yeah. a, a poor quality of life. And I just think there's things we can create with illusion, illusions, that back suplex, it used to be a back suplex, now it's a German suplex. I would jump up out of my easy chair when I was watching All Japan Wrestling, when I would see Dr. Death. Drop people on their heads. I, and I asked Doc, and he said, brother, they're lining up to take it in Japan. They wanted to take it. Each one wants to take it successfully higher. And in that case, I'm seeing the forearm go up. But this is like, all right, here's the Foley block of the chair. Boom. And if you know what? If I don't get it, the four fingers up there in time, I'm going to take a heck of a jolt. And yes. It's going to cause a concussion, but it's not going to paralyze me. Right. Whereas this, you don't do everything right. I can't, I just, 
I can't see those things being uh, good for long-term health. And not everybody's going to make a lot of money. Uh, These guys are great workers. I just think they could do without that move. I remember taking a beating when I said, "Ah, man, I hated seeing Sasha Banks doing the tope because it was the one move that seemed to lend itself to injury almost every time she was doing it. It was like, take it off the menu. Here's one of the most astonishing workers of our generation. You don't need it. You don't need that. You do not need that. If you think you need a dive, come up with something that's not going to have the boys and men and women jumping out of their chair. I just, as crazy as it sounds, being the guy that took all that stuff, I don't want to see any of us in wheelchairs. I don't want to see any of us needing long-term care and, uh, you know, petitioning Cauliflower Alley for Cauliflower Alley Club for a quality of life care. And there's just other ways around it, you know. And for God's sake, lighten up on the forearms at the house shows, right? It's only so many brain cells to go around. And I know I'm opening myself up for a flood of criticism, but I, um, man, I mean, I, you see, I go to bat when one of our guys is down. I try, yes. I try to raise money. Uh, but if you know, you all, you feel in your heart like what we're doing is going to wear people out and is going to put them in a bad way as they age, then let's try to come up with something else. Like we, we eliminated chair shots to the point where now you see a chair shot to the head, especially on the Indies. And you go, that's just flat out stupid, right? Yes. I'll argue that I blocked the ones to the side. I willingly took the ones to the top of the head because that's what we did back then. Yes. But we know better. And I just wonder what it's going to take for people to say, let's take these, that item, the, ba- the, the German. Let's take that off the, you know, off the menu. You see when Brock, when Brock's with Taker or somebody, it's a much different German than the one that uh, some of the other guys will take. So I think you got to treat everybody like their Taker. If you're doing a German suplex, you got to put that guy flat. I don't care if the pop is not as big. Those people will find something else to pop about. Yes. But you've only got that one that one life. Be really careful with it. One bump card, as they say. I appreciate that you're saying you're going to open yourself up to criticism because you will. Yeah. Oh, sure. Because people remember your story sure. about, you know, the, the elbow drop on the concrete and Arn Anderson's. Mm-hmm. You ain't sure. got no sense. I ain't got no dollars. Look, I paid the price. I did exactly. That was my point. You're the guy. Paid the price. Yes. But there's a difference between hobbling and having trouble getting around and being in a wheelchair. Yes. There's a big difference. And you see, like, I still got this, you know, I still got the motion. If you see, I, I'm always stretching this thing out. Like, uh, there were maybe 10 to 20 times this is something I talk about in some of my one-man shows. And I don't go there that often because it's really personal. There's probably two dozen times where I felt like, okay, I'm just throwing caution to the wind. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope for the best. And probably out of those two dozen times, four or five times where I landed, I was like, I have to wriggle this finger. I have to try to wiggle this toe. I have to, can I move? And that's a scary, scary feeling. And we've got this long line of wrestlers with the scar on their neck. Yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, Edge, Edge Kurt, Kurt, yeah. And there's, you know, on and on, on and on. And, uh, I think we need to do what we can to avoid those surgeries in the future. And those are surgeries by one of the best uh, in the business. Not everybody has access to that. Uh, There's still a lot of guys who are going to pretend they're not hurt when they are. 
going to feel a need to continue to do these things, especially at house shows, in order to come up on the star level, when in my mind it's not about the stars, it's about sending people home with a feeling, yeah, especially a feeling that they want to return. Uh, sometimes we can overdo it so much with the matches uh, that I think we're giving people such a crash course that they're like, that was amazing, but I'm good for the year. Yeah. And not... When is it? When are they coming to town? I need to be there, and I think we need to do more things that create beloved characters, so that every single thing that character goes through means something, as opposed to just uh, trying to get guys over by pushing the bar further and further. AKA more scissor me daddy, scissor me daddy. I'm good with scissor me daddy. <laughs> more. <laughs> Austin's neck isn't getting any better. There's plans in motion now to crown a, uh, a new tag team champion. Uh, at- that, that sound was me jumping off my soapbox. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, it's going to happen at ground zero <laughs> in a four corners tag match. And that means you're not really getting a tag run with uh, Stone Cold. What yeah. could have been? That could have been super fun, huh? It was super. The way I remember it, it was super fun. It was, you know, when Steve was really a singles guy. Oh, of course. Right? I mean, these are uh, going, you know, WWE is going to mega powers, right? They're not, it's not Killer Bees or Rougeos in that spot headlining pay per views. No. It's the combination of two single stars uh, combining forces for the greater, for the greater good. Uh, and so I don't think Steve and I were ever destined for a long run. Um, Austin's partner, Sean, sort of disappears off TV. You're the replacement. Now Steve is injured, but you don't get a replacement partner. We're just going to take the belts off. I don't know why, but that makes me chuckle when you think about it. I don't know. Uh, the second week of Raw being moved to Friday features you beating Bulldog by DQ. Owen does a, uh, a run in here and he's going to tease hitting the tombstone on you, but the Ooh. Legion of Doom make the safe. Okay. And then they wouldn't dance with you, which is kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, I don't think if we would have gone back and told Mick Foley when he's breaking in the business, one day you're going to be on a live <laughs> WWF program as your dude love character, and the, you're going to try to convince the Road Warriors to do some Dan- old school dancing with you. Look, one of the biggest moments of my career up until that point in late 85, early 86, was when I was setting up rings for Tommy D., and when you're setting up the ring, when you're the low man on that ladder, like you literally do it all. You set up the ring, you sell hot dogs, you help out with the merchandise, you take the jackets. And here I am taking the Road Warriors gear and I'm walking it back to the dressing room. And by the time I get to the dressing room, the match is over, right? Yes. Like, it's a short match, exciting as heck, you know. I mean, I was privileged to you know, be on a handful of shows with the Road Warriors. But if you would have told me as that young man, an 85, 86 kid, 11 years from now, yeah, that character you invented last year, you know, is your alter ego. He's, you're going to be trying to get these two guys to dance with you. Uh, no, no, this is just like a dream. It's it a is. dream come true. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about working with Bulldog. You know, he, uh, was one of the guys you worked with very early in your WWF career yeah. as an enhancement talent, and you were worse for wear on the other side. Um, and now you're kind of the one of the top guys in the promotion, and, and he's still the British Bulldog, but it, it's kind of fun to think about, man, I was yeah. in this ring once before with him, and things are a little different. And Davey was such a good guy. Yeah. Such a good guy. 
I mean, I uh, I really praised uh, the book about Dynamite and Davy, uh, and you know it does cut, go into some of Davy's, uh, you know, his his personal difficulties. At that time, he had a lawsuit hanging over his head, right, stemming from an incident where he was just protecting his wife. Uh, by all accounts, the guy that ended up being injured, not by all accounts, but by the accounts, I believe he was way out of line. Uh, Davey was standing up like most people would do for his wife. Yes. Didn't intend to hurt this guy. The guy fell off a stoop backwards, uh, and ended up being injured. And Davey's looking at his whole career in jeopardy. Certainly everything he's ever saved and, uh, you know, his way of life. And it, it, it had an effect on him. You know, I remember Owen and I talking about it. Like it's just, it's taken something out of him. But work would be that release. Uh, a lot of fun working with Davey. It was great to, to be with one of the guys I had the second match of my career with and then being in there and not, you know, accepted and, uh, uh, as being a, a colleague and I guess an equal at that point. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Somehow, some way. The last show you're on before the big pay-per-view is an independent show in Danville, Virginia, <laughs> where you defeat the Honky Tonk Man, I do. which I bet he took one bump in. Uh, how in the world do you have it in your contract where you're... I don't... Vince let us... He, let, he decided to let guys do a few independents. The craziest thing, and I know we'll probably cover this match at length, is before I do my big match in Milwaukee with Austin, where as evil dude, corporate dude, I actually, I'm in Ohio working with Brian Nobbs as babyface dude love before heading to Milwaukee. Anyone, you know, you route, uh, try to think of which town that would have been in in Ohio, uh, Cleveland, Dayton. There's a Ohio is a great wrestling state, uh, and then you you map quest that in Milwaukee. It's about six hundred miles, I'd say. So I've got to do the travel, the drive through the night in order to get to Milwaukee to take on a cardio machine like Austin. And all the while, I'm thinking to myself, what was I thinking? Yes. What was I thinking? So likewise, I don't know what I was doing in Danville, Virginia, against the Honky Tonk Man. Uh, but I believe I, I was suplexing Honky out of his shoes. Somewhere on a roadside in Danville, the Honky Tonk Man's boots are there. Being, a lot of Germans. Brother, there's... <laughs> And he tried to say, you're not going. I was like, you're going, brother. <laughs> you know, it's funny that the Internet uh, at times, uh, the, the modern era, people don't really appreciate or respect how over Honky Tonk Man was in the ladies, man. He was he had white hot heat. Look, Honky still, he's still doing business. The crazy yes. thing, I had a little mini feud with Honky Tonk Man uh, over something I never said I, uh, I'm on a radio show on Long Island and, uh, somebody says, Hey, we've got a, uh, we got a guest for you. And one of the, 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 the college announcers, yeah, co-host says, Oh, I hope it's not one of these washed up eighties guys like the honky tonk man. Uh, not even my comment. Right. And that I hear that I've got heat. You know, one of those well meaning friends goes, Hey, did you hear what somebody said about you? And so I ended up calling up Honky, and I was like, hey, do we have heat, brother? Like, <laughs> not, are you angry? 
do we have eat brother? He's like, hell, I don't know. No, I guess not. I was like, I don't think I said that. Like, if I did, I apologize, but that doesn't sound like something I would no, say. No. And it wasn't something I said. Uh, but for the record, brother, up he's he going. Went. Oh, he's going. He's going. <laughs> so, ground zero in Louisville, you and Austin are going to vacate your world tag team titles to Sergeant Slaughter, but the rattlesnake returns, cuts a promo on Jim Ross, Vince McMahon, and Sergeant Slaughter. And, buddy, he hits the infamous stunner on Jim Ross, an enormous pop. <laughs> I mean, really, in hindsight, I know that, you know, maybe God laughs at our plans sometimes, but if Austin doesn't have the neck injury, he doesn't but go on this incredible run where he's He would have this, still gone on the incredible run. I would just say he got there Would he have stunned Vince McMahon? I know we're jumping ahead. Uh, it was, look, I remember thinking this guy is getting more over Every he was already super over. Yes, but he's now he's he's getting more over every week that we don't see him because he's not allowed to ply his craft. And I remember Jim Ross. Uh, there was a segment. He loved Jim, right? Yeah. But at that time, I don't think their friendship was you know what it was, became. We, yeah, and it wasn't public knowledge because it would have gotten in the way of the anti-authority figure. But I remember Jim like sending him like a eight by ten. And then Steve, you know, you know, putting it on a hay bale and putting an arrow through it. Here you go, Jim, right in the gizzard. Like Steve, he knew what he was doing. You know, Steve was getting over, and uh, I, he was injured, but he was still on the road. Yeah, they were bringing him on the road. Like he was uh, privy to a couple of the all-time classic stinkers that Owen and I had. You know, specifically designed to stink the play. That's. To me, that's commitment to your craft. When you just, <laughs> you care enough to be your very worst, which is exactly how people want to do it. And this is where I'm getting the, you know, the Owen's doing the, I get, you know, it's, not to make light of a choking incident. Yes. But at the time to have that microphone and to be able to use that and create images, you know, and this is about the same time that Hunter and I, uh, summer of 97 are tearing it down with some of the best slash worst, uh, false count anywhere matches that I've ever had. Yeah. The, the beel toss off the top by the nose. This is something that would have Carl Gotch, you know, rolling in his grave, but brother in situate Massachusetts, and at the Cape Cape Cod Melody Tent. They loved it. They loved it. Still do to this day. And um, the the interesting thing here of this show is we've got Sean and Undertaker in the main event. Yeah. And Undertaker does the big dive. Nobody had ever seen that from Undertaker right. before. What did you think when you saw that the first time? It's amazing. And it is. It's again, uh goes to my belief you have to find... Big moves on their own aren't going to get a guy over, but when a guy is over or a woman and does the big move, it's just that one dive. More usually once a year, right? Yes. He almost didn't make it in one of those uh, mania matches. Yep. Made for an incredible double down spot, but we're all concerned for Undertaker's well being. But yeah, the first time you see that guy, you know, almost seven feet tall, and I think his arms would be out like this, you know, and. So it's just majestic. I remember during the pandemic, I saw a bald eagle take flight out of a tree, and I recorded it. I believe we have the video, so we can... Do we okay. have the video? 
Grillo, I'm here and we do have the video. So it was a pair of bald eagles. And I believe I even said the word, it's majestic. They're majestic. majestic. And that's how the Undertaker's dive struck me. It was majestic. And of course, this match ends in a no contest. So we're going to run it back the next month at the next in your house, which is uh, going to be the debut of the Hell in a Cell. Did, when do you remember hearing that, hey, we're going to try a new cage? You just had maybe the the last classic big blue. Maybe there were some on the house yeah, shows, yeah. but the ones that folks saw is is you guys at, at SummerSlam. And now, well, we're going to try a new cage match. When do you hear about that? Do you not know what it is until you see it? I think they did promos a few weeks out. It looked, it looked really interesting and something that I thought I was better off not being a part of because as we spoke about uh, last episode, I was not a classic cage match wrestler. Like, yeah. I didn't, it didn't play to my strength. So I was thinking it better, it's better them than me. You preferred Big Blue at that point. <sighs> I didn't prefer either of them. I prefer them when it came to gimmick matches. I'd been, I'd done the stuff in Japan. I love the Falls Can Anywhere. I did like the toys. I liked the succession of toys. I liked the barbed wire bat. I liked the thumbtacks. Uh, but I wasn't a climber, you yeah. know? Like when a guy maxes out as an athlete in sixth grade gym class with four pull-ups and yeah. then gets progressively less athletic from that <laughs> point, he's not a guy who's going to do great things inside a cage. Today's episode is brought to you by CarShield, who makes it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the U.S. and offers protection plans for around a 100 bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before. Whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles, and let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic. And CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taking care of. Same goes if your car breaks down and you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost, too. Get coverage today, and you'll lock in your price now, and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So the night after ground zero is the intercontinental title tournament. Of course, Austin's going to have to vacate it because he's got the broken neck yeah. and the show's in Cincinnati, Ohio. You're in the first round as dude love to take on Brian Pillman in his hometown. And next month we'll dive into your relationship with Brian, but yeah. Pillman's unable to attend this match. And he sends in a video for Goldust to see because he won the rights to Marlena, Goldust's wife, the night before for 30 days. And boy, we're seeing some Russo influence here, are we not? And by the way, as a a 16-year-old boy, this was awesome. I loved it. (laughs) But can you imagine that these days? 
Mick, we're going <laughs> to... The service. Colette has to go with Sean for 30 days now. And we weren't the first people to do it. No, right? it no. Like, uh, you know, uh, Baby Karen, doll back in the day. Baby doll, right? With uh, Dusty. With Dusty and uh, the Von Erichs uh, getting the services of yeah. Sunshine. <laughs> it's been done uh, quite a few times. Uh, and they did it well. But in Brian's defense, he did have to wear a dress for... These are great stipulations, right? As we said, <laughs> uh, Goldust was a white hot heel. Yeah. They were in, still in that discovery process. Of, and then it turns out he was best at being Dustin Runnels, right? When he eventually yes. went back to that, that's what he was best at. Um, but man, that Goldust character was sensational. It really was. I still think he's got a couple of big matches left in him, too. I think so. And he's yeah. in such good shape. And yeah. he cleaned his life up. And he Different loves dude. wrestling. You know, oh, man, just love, you know, like a lot of us do with all his heart. But I'd say he's in that upper tier of guys who just lived, breathed, and bled wrestling. Shout out to his wrestling school. Go look it up if you're into that. Uh, the next week, we do get that match. It ends when Goldust attacks Pillman and gives him the win by DQ. Uh, probably the biggest match you had that week, though, wasn't for the WWE. It was an Amarillo, Texas wrestle fest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Terry Funk retires again. Uh, Last match in Amarillo. Yes. There that you is, go. Is, yeah, and I do not think he wrestled in Amarillo again. So I think he he did. Uh, don't buy. say that too loudly, because Ric Flair will say that was the last match in Nashville, and I don't need that in my life. I'd like for that to be done. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but this is the show where Sabu takes on mankind. You know, when I was at the weekend for Mongo, I saw the Ric Flair's last match. You know, I've got the pretty good handwriting. I was going to yeah. take out my pen and write underneath it for now. <laughs> 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 oh, I hope not. I hope not. Okay. Uh, Mankind and Sabu. Yeah. Man, as a hardcore wrestling fan mm-hmm. at the time who loved ECW and loved what you guys were doing in the WWF, this was like a dream come true. You yeah. know, we're getting the, the craziest hardcore wrestler of maybe the last decade was really the underground tape trading legend that had become Sabu, who's just now starting to get a little bit more momentum. He'd been on Raw a couple of times, and now ECW has pay-per-view. They're yeah. still on the late-night TV. They don't have TNN yet, but this feels like a major happening. But it doesn't happen with big TV cameras. It happens at WrestleFest. Mm-hmm. I assume that, you know, because there's, there's folks from every promotion on that card. Terry Funk carried that much respect in the business, did he, he not? Did. He sure did to the point where uh, he and Brett went over 40 minutes, I believe. Yeah, it was a long one. They had a great match, a classic match. And that's part of uh, uh, Beyond the Mat as well. And uh, I believe this was the only time Mankind and Sabu ever wrestled. Although we had some really great matches. Best of which, I think, was an independent show in Vegas. Crazy to me how much the two of us would put into it. And it was those matches that I watched... Quite a bit in 2004 when I was trying to get that eye of the tiger back yeah. for that match with Randy Orton. And I remember thinking, my God, we, we gave people a lot of bang for their buck. And there was this spot. I didn't know. I mean, somebody can maybe uh, uh, look up the Las Vegas laws circa, uh, this would have been 96, whether or not you can justifiably kill someone for sweeping the blackjack table of all its chips. <laughs> Just brawl out into the into the actual casino, 
And I see they're trying to prevent me. And by God, Cactus Jack does the, I call it Operation Clean Sweep because it's what my oldest son Dewey would do, like in a game of Trouble or Sorry, where the cards were not going his when way. When he's losing. Just, just sweep it clean. And that was me. I see all these chips, thousands of dollars of chips. People <laughs> yelling, no, no. Off they go. Up comes Sabu under the table. Pile driver on the blackjack table. And a false finish out of it in what could have been the last move I ever did because I believe no jury in the world is going to judge a man guilty for killing a pro wrestler who has pile-driven an opponent on a blackjack table. Just my... just my. When those ships go flying, do, do, uh, do people in the casino run over and try to pick the chips up and all that? You know what, Conrad? We're, it's so crazy just focused on that match, you know, just trying to give people the best match you can. And this is coming from a guy who just criticized people for doing moves yeah. in the interest of having the best match they can. Uh, I don't, rem- I don't, rem- it's, yeah, I remember the chaos and remember finding out afterward that it was frowned upon by the casino and not caring. Right. And this is an indie show. I mean, I was pulling 500 a night and maybe doing a couple hundred in gimmicks, but that was the way it was. Like, it was just no doubt. Like, it's, it's a, the nice thing about it is you watch what Sabu and I are doing and we're trusting each other with our lives. Like, we're responsible for the other guy's well being. And, uh, and so that trust is there. A quiet guy. I remember seeing him after the funk show, um, with Rob Van Dam, uh, cause that, you know, they were really still really close. And I remember it being just a really great night, uh, whether it was the Waffle House or something similar, late night venture, catching up with Shane Douglas after the show. Uh, I had no idea that Dennis Stamp, <laughs> you know, would go on to, Make history uh, with getting that. ready for his he, next getting match. ready for his next match. Phone, you never know what's going to ring. It's yeah. been a few years. Yeah, but and then he said, "I know I could have a better match with Dory than that guy." And that guy was Rob Van Dam. Yes, but I, it was really special to be chosen to be part of that and to do the match. I honestly don't. Whereas I go back to Vegas and I remember every move that was done. There's some you remember and some you don't. I don't recall what we did. At uh, uh, it was fun. a non finish, it was a DQ. Okay. Uh, Bill Alfonso is going to interfere, he gets the claw as a result. Uh, Meltzer, not a big Pans fan, it. Ah, pans uh, it. Match was disappointing as ah. it was short, finish was flat, <laughs> except for a comeback sequence by Mankind. The brawling itself looked bad. Uh, that's according it to Meltzer. did, huh? Well, who cares? Well, I can't, re- I can't remember, I can't argue that. Now, if he were to say the Vegas match wasn't good. And there were a lot of, I remember going to Pahrump, Nevada, and tearing it down uh, in Pahrump as well, and just uh, trying to tear it up with Sabu everywhere I went. Maybe uh, maybe something was off that night. I don't know. You wrote in your book about a very memorable house show match you had with Owen Hart um, that you described as brutal, not because you <laughs> were hurting each other, but because it was really bad. <laughs> Gone was the aggression and tenacity to be replaced instead by some of the worst-looking offense. <laughs> Weak chops replaced stiff forearms. On the speaking side of things, mankind's deranged philosophical shriekings yielded to worn-out 70s cliches. In many ways, I just ripped off Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> if not in word, then at least in spirit. And I also took a look at the World Wrestling Federation roster and saw it was filled with legitimate tough guys. The dude I decided... 
needed to be the antithesis of tough. Darn right. He had the market cornered on Goofy and took full advantage. He did. Um, and you were writing your book. And everything the dude took apart, <laughs> that dude took part in from his so good it was bad entrance video <laughs> to developing the worst finish in the history of yeah. the business, the dude embodied nerdiness and nincompoopery. Yeah. And the fans loved it. By the way, I don't think I've ever read a book with nincompoopery except yours. <laughs> I don't know that it's been printed. You have to be pretty um, secure in your manhood to use a word like nincompoopery. Yes. Uh, speaking of secure in my manhood, Conrad, uh, let me segue. I've got a, an incredible body spray for you to try. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't wait to try this. Is this a sign? I showered today. <laughs> I can't find it. Ah, son of a nutcracker. Uh, anyway, it's the full Yeti <laughs> spray. I'll get it for the next episode. Uh, I tried out this beard oil by Mythical Beards. I yeah. got the little sampler pack because uh, Lady Frost and the Savage Gentleman weren't on the ground floor. Oh, roll time. Savage Gentleman, strong beard game. Uh, and I really liked it. It wasn't overdone. It was because the scents were kind of subtle. And so I asked the guy if he might look for a collaboration. Uh, sure, what do you have in mind? And I was thinking mythical. It's kind of a mythical. I love the peppermint, you know, uh, uh, year round, a year round basis. And I said, Foliety. Not only is it part Foley, part Yeti, but when it's on the label because of the use of the Y and the E, it looks like Foley. Foley Yeti. And it's just, it's, I really like it. I mean, I was hands on. He kept sending me, uh, samples. I'd say it needs to be a little stronger. And I'm just saying, I like the subtlety, but in this yes. sense, I like it to be brisk, you know, because I did, I had a good, uh, peppermint beard bomb and you find out the hard way, not to mention the word bomb when you're being checked by the TSA. Yes, yeah. Don't, don't say, say it's that. bomb. Yeah. And by the time you try to explain there's an L in there, yeah, you're already being taken in for questioning. Found that out the hard way. Um, so don't bring, you can bring the oil in your bag, but don't bring the BALM just in case, because I'm going to give you a, a little, and yeah, you could use it. It's also good for the skin. I'm going to go off on a tangent here and say, just as I did before I got here, I put a photo of myself, uh, from our last week of taping and said, not bad for 57. Not bad for 57, right? Yeah. Uh, considering what I've been through. And part of that is because the beard oil has got such great quality ingredients that even though I don't have the big beard anymore, we get it a little here, a little there. And just It's really good stuff. And so if people want to check it out, go to mythicalbeards.com. Mythical with a Y. And, uh, oh, the thing I kept saying, got to be stronger got to be stronger and then finally i said here's the deal i want it to feel like you're getting hit in the face with a peppermint patty so he loads it up with so much peppermint just thinking i go okay now you've overdone it and instead i go nailed it that's the one and i just i really enjoy it and yeah you haven't heard me pitch anything really uh or very little conserve uh considering and i'm proud of the fact that even when i was general manager i rarely even brought up the uh Holy Foley Show rarely brought that up when I had the avenue to do it because I wanted to do that job the best I could. Yeah. Similarly, I think we all strive to make this program uh, as good as it can be. Yes. I just I want to thank everybody who makes the time uh, for this on their weekly schedule because there's a lot of other good podcasts out there. 
And I don't mean to go off on tangents about my beard. Oh, no. We're glad you did. I was wondering if Ron Reese was involved. And she said, Yeti. He's over in Atlanta. He's not too far. We could get a collab. Maybe we need toilet paper that's peppermint scented. <laughs> you know. Was he, wait, there was a Yeti and a mummy? Or was he the Yeti a his, mummy? His name was the Yeti. Yeah, I know. But he, he came dressed out, out in a, toilet man. paper. Because he stunk the joint out. That was weak. Um he actually offered to be Ric Flair's opponent in his last match. He said, I think it would be fitting. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm listening. And he goes, well, it's the world's greatest wrestler versus the world's worst wrestler. I mean, and then do you bring up your interviewing dude love next week? I did not. Bad by design. Okay. Yes, that's yeah. excellent. Yeah. But, hey, I'm thinking maybe in time for Christmas, a little stocking stuffer, <laughs> peppermint toilet paper, <laughs> Mick Foley and the Eddie getting together. It could happen. To a peppermint scented toilet paper. Imagine if it was like, you know, it would be like a mint for your derriere. Like an Altoid for So we for would have a hot 40. tag for your wiener and an Altoid And a cool your- breeze <laughs> in your nether regions. What are we doing? We're getting paid for this. Can you believe this? This is what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> you're talking about the, uh, the silliness here that you just referenced earlier. First, it was the advent of the microphone cell spot. I was on the right, house yeah. mic shucking and jiving with the Capital City fans when the devious heart jumped me from behind with absolutely no provocation with microphone in hand. I strayed from the standard wrestling protocol of macho grunts and groans and replaced them with the cries of terror and pleas of mercy. Oh, God, no, please. Oh, it hurts. Oh, the pain. The pain. Please stop. Oh, God, you're killing me. The dude was really wimping out, but Owen made the mistake of turning his back and addressing the fans, or love children, as I like to call them. And when he turned around, dude had somehow found the will to continue. He went in Owen, and as Owen went, oh, oh, into the microphone, the dude then wrapped the microphone around his adversary's trachea and reared back on the deadly reins. And all of a sudden, I heard a voice over the public address system. I it was Owen at his hokiest. Breathe. <laughs> I had to cover my face from laughing. That's like the perfect Owen story, is it not? It's a great. Ah, I loved working with Owen. And I think what made that show even more special is that I had the family with me. Summer of Love, 97. May have even been the same trip. I can't remember. But I had them with me quite a bit. And uh, we'd gone to uh, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country. And Noelle had this little pink bonnet on. And she came into the ring and danced with the dude. And she she got in the ring. And she was uh, 96. So she wasn't even three years old. Two and a half years old. And her just she gets that look, which I call the Cindy Brady quiz show look. For yes. anyone who watched Cindy on the quiz show, the red light went on and Cindy forgot everything. And I just said, just do what daddy does. Can you do that? She looked at me and I went. <laughs> and she went. <laughs> Basically, that was the dance. You know, yes. I don't know if she did the knock knee love dance. But here's this moment where uh, I, rem- you know, my wife and I remember this in our entire lives. Ah. Uh, during in a match that by some standards and by my own standard was just awful, but by design, but people were happy if yeah. they wanted trust me, I was there for the adventure. If they wanted the good matches, we had mankind to provide that. Yes. And within uh, six weeks, we had cactus Jack uh, dude was a really welcome diversion. And the summer of love was a beautiful thing. Uh, 
and I realized it was over when I was asked to put in 28 minutes in Kuwait with Jim Neidhart. Yes. And by the third or fourth time, I was on the second turnbuckle dance, and I'm thinking to myself, this has run its course. Yes. And it had, up until uh, I came back as corporate dude, which was a thing a of beauty, deal. which we'll tackle on another day. So this uh, same match where you're, you know, you got... Noel dancing with yeah, you at the yeah. end of the night and you're doing the microphone spot. The fans were also treated to sweet shin music, <laughs> uh, which you alluded to earlier. Yeah. Um, between that and the love handle, are those the two greatest names oh, in the history of finishers? They're good. They're up there. And I have to give uh, sweet I, shin music credit where it deserves. I came up with the idea that it was kind of a takeoff on Shawn Michaels, right? Of course. Uh, I said, Vince, what if it was a horrible kick? Like, and I, uh, I co- talked about a kick to, kick to the stomach for a finish. And Vince just goes, sweet shin music. And that was all she wrote. You knew. Yeah. Right uh, Love Handle was mine, though. Uh, you traveled to Birmingham, England. You're going to take on Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the opening match of the one night only pay-per-view. You're as the dude here and you take the loss with the pedigree, a little help from China as a distraction. But the show is most known for Davy Boy Smith and the main event, uh, much as he had been five years prior with Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title. Now it's for the European yeah. title, and his opponent is Shawn Michaels. And as the story goes, he had dedicated the match to a family member who was suffering with cancer, and it felt like this is going to be another feel-good moment, just like Wembley, and instead they go the other way, lean into the heat. Mm. Sean leaves with the European title. A lot of criticism on the company's decision and, quote-unquote, heat on Sean for that. You were there. What did you think? Was that the right kind of heat, or was it not necessary? We should have sent him home happy. Send him home happy. I think so, too. You know, that's one of the... Triple H regime is probably not going to go out of its way to beat people in their hometown as a matter of statement, you know, probably days of guys. You think Drew McIntyre agrees with that today? Ah, it's a world title. That's a different deal. So you would have kept it on? It's a different. I think you have to keep it on Roman for the payoff. I think the payoff, if they don't get to rock Roman, you could look back and go, God, what would it have hurt to. have that title on Drew. Um, but you go to the UK all the time for tours and stuff. And yeah. to this day, people talk about SummerSlam 92. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's their WrestleMania you set th- three you know or 17. Ah, man. All right. Sounds like I'm conflicting my own uh, statements. World titles. The WWE title is the WWE title. I agree. The European title was what Davey was making it. It's designed for him. Look, I'm Sean. I've said it before. Sean, to me, is the greatest wrestler of the modern era. Yes. Modern era, to me, is defined by monthly pay-per-views. Right. Before that, to me, it's still Terry Funk, greatest of all time. Rick uh, is certainly in that mix, top three to five guys. Sean, best wrestler of the modern era. But Sean kind of treated the European title with disrespect by calling it the prestigious European title while saying, I'm a writer, right? Two-time, New York Times, number one best-selling author. I think I know sarcasm when I hear it. Yes. And Sean was 
almost mocking. Well, he dropped the belt later that year in a mockery of a match to Hunter. It didn't matter. He yeah. didn't. He didn't. And see that's it. a case where, especially with Davey dedicating that's a match. Oh man, you got to have your ducks in a row. Uh, I just, I was never. I mean, going back to. Why beat Sasha in Boston? Yes. Why beat Charlotte in Charlotte? Why make Why, JR kiss your ass in Oklahoma? In, in Oklahoma. Why beat Ray in San... And, and we were talking about beating guys. He says, you know, Roman, Roman's super over. It doesn't hurt Drew. You'd, it, you'd be trading in the momentary high for long-term planning, in my in my opinion. Then why book it? Uh, I mean, my, my, my argument Drew, would be, like, realistically... Uh, cause I, I've been over to the UK a few times with Bruce and JR and man, every show, w- the first question is about SummerSlam 92. People just love that yeah. show. And it was because their guy won. Yeah. Nobody talks about one night only. They do because of the Hunter dude match. Because <laughs> let me just, we can, are we allowed to use WWE footage? No. No. So I'm going to have to paint a picture. Yes. Portrait. Dude. Goes for sweet shin music. Triple H escapes by leaping over oh, dude's kick. The athleticism. Bails to the outside and clearly. Wants no part of that. He wants no part of that uh, that kick. He's not ready for that. He's not ready for that. He did end up beating. I, I, I One night only that I did not fare well at in wrestling or wrestling. You just think about, in hindsight, and I know we're having fun, <laughs> but you think about how... The business was really on a downturn in 92. Yeah. In 97, it's heating up. And to this day, people just can't get enough Nothing talking about 97, which is why we're doing it. Look, it but they don't talk about one night only that same way. Because I'm going to offer into the mix that we should give the UK another huge show. Yes. Another. If not Mania, then why not revisit SummerSlam? It's been it's been. 20, that was 30 years ago. The rumor is they're going back next year for another oh, big show. But would, maybe that should be the time for it to happen. With one Drew. night only was crazy because you would literally arrive, have catering, wrestle, and, go and be on a flight home. Yeah. And you'd be working that next night. Yeah. It was, in a sense, um, we, you know, we didn't do as much globetrotting during the that attitude era because we didn't have to. Yeah, you're Everything hot here. Everything was sold out. So there was no need. By the time I'd gotten to Germany uh, with WWE, they kind of run through it, where it had gone being their strongest area in the in the world to being just another stop to where sometimes there were more people in the lobby at the hotel. Right, <laughs> almost. You know, um, I think we we owe it to the good people of the United Kingdom. And I want to apologize. This is sincere. If people thought I was mocking the death of the Queen. I did. Uh, I was on a uh, a shoot, top secret shoot that I'm not supposed to talk about anymore. Uh, if people really want to know, they can listen to last week. So I'm in the doghouse for mentioning what I'm doing. I am too. I'll show you some paperwork <laughs> I got recently, which is why we can't show footage of that damn kick. Okay. <laughs> but while I, I, we broke for lunch, you know, when you shoot for WWE, you know, you, you work you work hard days. It's we, a long day. Yeah, we break for lunch, and I hear that the queen has passed away. And then moments later, I see the meme about the queen when Meghan Markle visits, and it's Undertaker sitting up. And I think death is something that we have to find humor in, which is why I think a lot of young men were like me, where 
somebody passes away, you're scared, you meet up with your friends and you end up laughing before yeah. you go in. It's just yes. a thing, a way to deal with it. And so I'm a guy who I watched all four seasons of The Crown, the documentaries. I like I I do respect the uh, the House of Windsor, and if I offended anybody in the UK over the you know the death of the Queen, I am sorry. It's like not a conditional. I'm sorry that I posted that. Not if I offended anybody, because I did offend people, uh, and a lot of people did find the humor in it. But maybe it wasn't my place to be looking for the humor in it. But I love our UK fans. You know how loyal they are, mm-hmm. like year in and year out. You know the 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 Mister so- the Sacco Super Sale. It's the UK regularly orders more than even fans over here do, and no doubt we're one of the top podcasts in the UK, right? Yes, got to be absolutely. So we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. And if it was my call, which it's not, I would say we need a we need another major show over there, like a SummerSlam. Hypothetically, since we talked about the importance of the WWE title, do you think if Rock and Roman really do hook up at WrestleMania, that that match needs the world title on the line? Yes. Okay. For it to be the biggest match possible. I could argue night one, have the title on the line, somebody else. Night two, Rock and Roman. They close it. Trying to think back to the Ali Frazier classics, whether the title was on the line because Foreman had knocked out Joe Frazier. This is before Ali got it back from uh, uh, Foreman. I don't know if the title was on the line for their second fight or the third fight in the middle. Uh, and it didn't matter because the rivalry was so big. Yes. But in this case, I think you need to go with the best main event you can possibly get. And Roman's had it for so long that, in my opinion, having it another, at this point, six months. So what? Months. I mean, Rock's not going to work a full time schedule though. So right. they're, they're they're not going to. To me, it makes sense that Roman would go over, and somebody should beat him. Now, if it's not going to be uh, Drew, I, I jump to the, I make a logical leap to dude, say it's got to be. I would love that. Dude, Are yeah. you doing Dude Loves Last Match? You see, I'm getting in shape. Can right? we get Dude Loves Last Match dot com? <laughs> I got an idea. That's and like, I have to defend the title. <laughs> you have to. The last time I post the WWE title around my waist was when I went into Mr. McMahon's office in uh, uh, 2003. Uh, this is when I had the juice to have an idea and be pitching it the next day. I was one of two or three people who didn't leave, live in either Florida or texas right like it's just me and taz up there right and then other than the ww employees like we're the two long island guys so i'm a drive away and i said okay i uh i what do you got for me pal i said i haven't wrestled in four years i go out in the royal rumble i win it because I haven't been on Raw or SmackDown, I challenge both those champions to a three-way match. I win that, making me the undisputed WWE champion. He looks at me and goes, I have no interest in doing that whatsoever. And I said, okay, I've got an idea for me and Randy Orton. And that went on to be, <laughs> which not only did it go on to be one of the you know best programs of my career, but uh, it gives you an illustration why you gotta have a, you should have a plan B. In wrestling and Wait, in life. Wait, you didn't pitch the first one to I, get the second one accepted? No, I pitched the first one because I wanted to be the WWE champion. I, I get that. Um, As but, a pro tip in sales for our listeners, especially, listen, if you're a married, if you're a newly married person and you're trying to convince your wife to let you do a boy's trip or something, you pitch one that's absurd 
that you know she'll never say yes to. <laughs> and then you pitch the real one second. Okay. And you're more likely Ooh. to get some adoption there. So the first one has to be so over the top silly, like, well, there's no way she's going for this. Yeah. And then you counter with, well, since I can't do that, could I do this? Does your wife listen to any of your podcasts? There's no way she hears this. Okay. Or I would not my wife this. neither. Okay. Yeah. So we're safest just way for me to ensure Colette doesn't hear about something is to write it. One of my books. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, usually I record my podcasts at my house. <laughs> yeah. And at certain times of the day, my wife is there. But as you know, we're in my office. She's yeah. not here, so there's zero chance uh, that zero any chance. of this okay. gets back. Right. But I plan to use my method tonight. I got to pitch a silly idea. I want to go to Cauliflower Alley at the end of the month. So I'm going to pitch that I'm going for a bachelor party to somewhere else <laughs> okay. and that's going to get shot down. So then when I say, I want to go to Vegas to pay respect to older wrestlers, that's a no, a no, no, uh, yeah. yeah, no problem. Have fun. So, uh, on one of, I don't know if we have uh, a taker for the, uh, not an undertaker, but meaning, uh, a customer for, because I did my, uh, cameos before I left. Right. I don't know if we have a new one. But next week, I will promise you, two weeks from now, all right, I know okay. about it, I will promise you that I will find a suitable person so that dude's, dude's marriage tip is to daddy, honor her, cherish her, worship her, so that at the five-year mark, you can get down on your knees and say, I have honored you, I have worshiped you. <laughs> May I please? have a hall pass <laughs> <laughs> and then either cactus or, or or i will come in and shoot down the idea be shocked at the idea that hall the dude is suggesting the only reason you would pay honor and tribute and worship a woman is so at the five-year mark you can ask for a hall pass i mean you sold me uh, i'm gonna <laughs> coming up on that i'm gonna i'm gonna try that NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! The five-star reviews are in, and it's confirmed. SaveWithConrad.com can save you thousands. Jimmy E. writes that we saved his family more than $1,000 a month. James S. says we saved his family more than $1,200 a month. But how much can you save? It's free to find out right now at SaveWithConrad.com. But if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, or even worse, if you're in a 30-year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, but a matter of how much at SaveWithConrad.com. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World Championship Wings! Woo! Woo Wings! Yeah! Woo Woo! Um, here, here we go. Now let's talk about why we're really here. We're going to end the, the summer of love and we're going to get into something that I was so excited Ooh. as a fan to see. You wrote this in your book. I picked up the ringing phone on an early September morning in 1997. We had moved three weeks earlier to the Florida panhandle, but our house was not yet quite ready to move into. And as a result, boxes were strewn everywhere in our small apartment. Hello. I sleepily answered. The voice on the other end was anything but sleepy due to the fact that the man it belonged to had probably downed a half a dozen cups of coffee in the first two hours of the workday. 
Mick, this is Vince, and I want to run something by you for this Monday. We would like for you to be Cactus Jack at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. A big smile broke out over my face. Are you sure, I asked, with my mind going back to those annual 30-second calls yeah. with JJF and Dylan. Vince was right there to answer my question. Mick, this is going to be huge. I've got to admit, pal, I never thought I'd see Cactus Jack in the World Wrestling Federation. Neither did I, Vince. Neither did I. So chat me up. How shocked were you to hear, wait a minute, what? It's funny because my there were clearly two different phone calls in that little apartment before we moved into the house in Florida. The house I gave up because I will never, you never have heard me refer to a fan as a mark, right? Right. Because if I'm going to refer to fans as marks, then I would have to refer to myself as one for moving from Florida to Long Island and buying a house because I thought I was really the WWF commissioner. Like, I moved because my duties as commissioner had me flying so often and I was being utilized at the uh, the site-based entertainment complex, which is a fancy name for the restaurant. Uh, and so I would I would have to leave the panhandle at like 5 p.m. the night before and get home late, late. I'd be gone 36 hours for yes. trip took six once I moved to the island. Drive there, do the thing, boom, back. Four or five, four to six hours. Um, but I remember being there, and the first call was, Hey, Bill, how'd you like to be dude love? And that was the first time. And I went, one time we went from now on. And now as we've explored, that didn't take. And I'm glad right. it didn't take. The summer of love was done by November of 97, especially when they see Cactus come back. Yes. But the Cactus Jack thing, you know, I was nervous about it because in my head, as as much pride as I took in being mankind and as much goofy pride as I took in making dude love as different as possible, Cactus Jack would go on to, you know, become this mythical being in large part because the way Triple H sold for him. And I've acknowledged that even before he got back to running the company. So that's props where it, it deserves. But I was a little nervous about how he'd be um, uh, received. Right. I, I, I believed that I had what it, that that Cactus Jack character had what it took to be successful anywhere. But now it had been, it had been a long time other than the, the, uh, yeah, it had been a long time. I had I'd been Cactus Jack in Japan uh, one day in 96, one day in 97. Uh, I've been Cactus as in Japan before I joined WWE. Right, right, right. Um, but I didn't know how it would be received. So I was, I was concerned. From your book, I arrived in Stamford, Connecticut on Sunday evening and had dinner at the home of Joey Styles, the ECW play-by-play man. We reminisced about the old days. And even asked me if I thought Cactus Jack would ever have a shot in the WWF. I don't know, Joey. I lied right through my missing teeth. But I doubt it. I hated to lie to a friend, but I wanted the whole Cactus Jack return to be a mystery. When I returned to my hotel, I slept restlessly for a few hours before being awakened for my short ride to the Titan TV studios. Chris Chambers was there to guide me through eight hours of special Mm -hmm. effects, technical innovations, and if you don't mind my saying so... Tour de force performances on the part of Dude Love, Mankind, and in a cameo, Cactus Jack, that resulted in all three characters appearing on the Titan Tron at once. The creative lead-in really set the stage for the return of the hardcore legend. I was nervous as hell while the piece played, 
because I honestly didn't know what kind of reaction mm-hmm. Cactus Jack would get in New York City. It had been a year and a half since Cactus had existed, and three since he'd been on national TV. Wrestling fans have notoriously short memories, and I wondered if the MSG fans would have even seen my WCW exploits. So we've talked about a lot of this show already about, you know, your history with Cactus Jack, but it is interesting to think that you're still not sure how it would be Mm -hmm. received. But even if it was just, if you weren't really an old school WCW fan, just the idea that it's a new character Mm -hmm. for you, because we didn't know, we didn't know what dude love was, but we had fun with it. And so now here's another one. You had to feel a little bit of relief that all of this anxiety about will they recognize it but then the hard work you went into with chris chambers that you've detailed in Mm -hmm. an earlier episode paid off take us through that night when you hear the reaction you're getting ready to go and you hear the reaction is it a sense of relief nervousness anxiousness yeah the one thing we really had going for us though is that cactus had been brought up as this kind of mythical character in those promos with jr so that ran for five or six weeks. So the seed was planted in the mind that this guy's done some stuff that's really out there, and he sacrificed and paid a price. And there was that line in the, the, the JR promo, you know, what would you say to Vince McMahon? And I, as mankind said, why didn't you take me when I was good? Why didn't you take me when I was young? So there was a sense even there that age, you know, 31, that I was kind of no longer, you know, at peak of my physical powers, as limited as they could have been, and that Cactus Jack was the guy. Like, that run I had in Japan slash ECW, that was probably as good a year as I've ever had in any character. Performance-wise. Performance-wise. So you really believe that when you said it? Yeah, yeah. Like, just to to go on a weekly basis, and uh, look, there was a photo that may or may not appeared with me and Cody Rhodes that's no longer uh, visible, you know, but Cody and I talked about the fact that he did what I had set out to do, which is become a bigger star without the machine. Yes. And my case was WCW machine. Both of us believe we believe, we think we are able to accomplish more than the, what the, the company what the, yeah, what the company is seeing in us, and we're going to go out there and prove it. And there's something great about going out there and watching somebody prove their worth, whether it's Cactus in 94, 95, or whether it's Cody a few years ago, whether it's Drew McIntyre when he basically seemed to have become another person altogether. Yes. You know, within six weeks' time, it's like, this is the guy from 3MB, like different human being. Uh, and there's something really admirable about that. And so uh, I wondered if I could be that guy. But the stuff with Chambers, you know, it was, you know, like I said, eight hours. And this is where it's interesting. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here because I did go from July to copy, you know, basically generically copying Boogie Woogie Man and, and uh, Billy Graham to really coming into my own, to yes. where a dude was really comfortable yes. in his own skin there, you know? And it's, ow, you know, up high, down low, my main mandible, mankind. Like, he was really on the money, and you've yes. got to do these takes over and over. And so, Chris, I said I wanted the high five, and Chris said, characters can't make contact, you know, on a green screen. Can we do it off screen? Yes, we can. So if you go to that high five, which I guess we can't anymore. Yeah. Uh, the high, the, it does, there's no visual contact. contact. And it down low, ow, you're too slow. And again, 
the build is there for a character that we've come to believe is viable in large part because dude stunk up the place on so many occasions. And right. he's like, it, it, it did, t- it, it took your belief in yourself to not try to be Steve Austin light because that's what I had going for me, especially when I, you know, Steve run went perpetually, you know, I mean, it was a short run in the long term of things, but I mean, when he came back, he was the guy for what, three, you know, for, for three years. Mm -hmm. And you still had people trying to be like him. I'm going to be badass. I'm going to take no, you know, everybody was like a quasi heel. Every baby face was rude and, you know, uh, uh, revolutionary. There were no nice guys on the roster. So I was able to do that as, as mankind, but also as dude, you know, where you act that when you say, Hey daddy, that's not exactly my bag. When you're a pacifist on a wrestling show, you have to have some confidence in your ability to pull that off, you know? But that's what created the need for uh, for Cactus. All you guys couldn't Mankind are taking care of that, you know. Uh, but that was where Mankind, with no prompting, you know, where he goes, I know somebody whose bag it indeed is. And dude goes, Daddy, are you thinking what I think you think? I think you're thinking. And dude goes, and Mankind was like, think I am thinking what I think you think I'm thinking, dude. And that's gone on to be one of my things on Cameo now. Yes. Although dude only said it once. I think I am thinking what I think you're thinking. I think it. Somebody spanked me. I thought he was dead. And then here comes Cactus. Just Helmsley, you know, this is the word worst. Whatever. It was just 20 seconds and boom, come out with that incredible response. And as I'm walking down the stage. No music and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's generic music. Yes. Because I later saw a dwarf making love to it in a porn movie where. (laughs) So it was taken from the. It's the archives, you know. It's public. What was the name of the public, movie? Do you recall? I, I don't recall. I just recall that a promoter in uh, Pittsburgh summoned me in uh, to, and then I see uh, a dwarf making love, and I am not against dwarfs making. I'm for it. I'm all for it. But uh, here comes that Cactus Jack guitar music, and I was like, "Wow, I'll be, I'll be darned!" You know, is that it's, how Swaggle broke in? <laughs> Just asking for a friend. What's that? I don't believe it. Was, yeah, I don't believe it was Swaggle. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sorry, about to go a wrong way. Yes, a lot of, uh, off on another tangent. Um, but yeah, as I'm walking out there, all I can think of is, and I know Hunter's coming. I see Hunter coming up, and I'm gonna. I've got the garbage can, but even as I've got it overhead. It wasn't the shot it should have been. I should have really planted him with that thing. You know, it's kind of my working. Yeah, you took care of him. You took care of him. Uh, but I'm thinking to myself, I knew it, Vince. I knew it all along. And that, but that build and the hunters, uh, sell for the revelation of that, the reveal of that character. It's just really priceless to where he was the guy who kind of set the standard as far as I'm going to sell for this guy. Like yes. he's a different guy. And the toughest of the three of them. And it really, uh, really played out well. And I'll go out and I'll argue again, although it, uh, I'm being overly defensive. There's no way that moment means as much if Dude Love Agreed. went out and kicked ass. And I agree. It, oh, I said, uh, it took names. You, um, you wrote, my doubts, uh, let me fast forward here. The response of the crowd was shocking in its sheer volume. 
I had been hoping for a nice reaction, but this had surpassed everything I could have ever hoped for. Mm -hmm. When I emerged through the curtain, it was the loudest reaction I'd ever been a part of. My ECW send-off was more emotional and more heartfelt, but this audience was almost 20 times larger, and for that one evening, they were mine, mine, all mine. And man, what a cool moment as a fan it was i was watching in my living room my bedroom or whatever just excited that oh my god this is cactus jack on monday night raw in madison square garden and that had to feel like the ultimate validation for you as the guy who called jjf and dylan so many times and now madison square garden the place where you hitchhiked Mm -hmm. to go see all this happen and we talked about how special it was to come off the cage in new jersey at SummerSlam. Not quite Madison Square Garden, but this was the building. Yeah. And now here's your character getting this reaction. This has got to be one of the biggest milestones in your Mm. career at this point, right? Yeah. And I remember writing down a list of uh, goals. You know, I was a goal-oriented person and a believer in visualization. And, you know, you write out your goals. And it was amazing to me how many of them I'd actually hit, you know? Yeah. One of them, I don't know if you can call that a main event, Madison Square Garden. I would go on to main event, not like Bruno did, but you know, a handful of times. It's the most memorable match that night. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a great, it was my best match in 97. We talked earlier about how part of 97, uh, was affected by my back injury, but I'd been pretty healthy for about four months. And I believe it was my best match in 97. Fans often ask about that night and wonder what I was thinking on my way down the ramp. The truth is, my mind was full of mixed emotions when I heard the reaction at MSG. On one hand, I was basking in the adulation and it felt like I was on top of the world. On the other hand, I was thinking about my 30-second calls with JJF and Dylan and his assertion that I was lucky to have a job. I'd watched Mr. F and Dylan for years and always wondered how his interviews as the manager of the Four Horsemen, which were all always delivered with the flash and sizzle of a UPS truck. Oh, why I'm not at all. Uh, this is transference. This is anger that should be directed at Vince. I'm taking out on JJ because he was the receiver of the calls and just doing what. All right, but uh, yeah. Uh, Either way, you said, uh, I hope that even someone as wise as Vince has truly learned a lesson about judging a book by its cover. And he did. And you also said, you know, I've often wondered what would have happened if I'd continued from that point on as Cactus Jack. It might have been huge or it might have died out, but who knows for sure. Also, a full-time Cactus Jack would have nullified the strange events of the next year Mm -hmm. that resulted in mankind's sudden ascent in 1998. So I'm glad to hear that you recognize now, 25 years later, not JJ's fault. It's not killing the message. It's not. And again, going back to the whole idea of being the three, you know, the something for everybody. JJ's promos were what they needed to be for that role because yes. you had Rick and Arn and Tully and yeah. Oli. Uh, you had these great guys. So I mean, there's a reason why you remember that faction and yeah. why. Uh, JJ played a big role in that being the best or yes. one of the top three or four factions of all time. And that is clearly displaced frustration, but he was the voice that I would hear every year. And it would, it would infuriate me that I couldn't even get a meeting, you know? Yeah. So uh, I'm not asking for a meeting at the house. Like yeah, I'm yeah. the top guy. Eventually I did get the meeting in the office. Uh, but it wasn't a phone call from JR. It was at least a meeting with Vince at the office. But it's like, man, I just, you know, this is where I'll, I'll knock uh, the process a little bit. 
and I'll, I'll offer up a remedy. Um, when my son was a writer for six years, he said part of the problem was that none of the writers watched NXT. Right. And it's like, you know what? Why don't we tack that on as part of the job requirement? It was, uh, is it two hours now? Two hours? Yeah. Uh, at one time, it was an hour-long show. Watch the show. See what makes the character special so that when they get called up, you're not doing a characterization of the a caricature of the character. You gotta think that's changed now with Hunter, I, right? I believe it. It's just common sense, and it should. I it ain't, and I know it was Vince's process and it worked for him, but your entire fate shouldn't lie in that 13-inch monitor to the exclusion of everything you've ever done in your career. Like, there should be something to be said for everything you've achieved. So if, God forbid, you don't go out there and knock it dead in a ring unlike any you've ever been in, two feet longer than every other ring that's out there that I know of, ropes instead of cables, uh, entirely new audience, and you're supposed to burn it down while not doing too much, not having much time to tell a story, and you've got to make such a great first impression that everything you do, that the only thing you do is on that monitor is going to re- merit you being called back. You can't go out there and tear the house down because that's not what they want. You can't go out there and do nothing because that shows uh, no, you know, uh, no ability. It's it's a really difficult situation to be in, and I've seen many a talented person be cast off after. One match. Yeah. So I just, I think that needs change. Uh, I'm glad that I, I was really lucky that I had guys who, like Cornette, like JR, Undertaker wanting to do business, guys like Kevin Ash, even as they were leaving, saying, hey, the guy's money. Um, but that's an awful lot of pressure to put on uh, guys to have that defining match on a 13-inch monitor in your first time with the company. I, I probably and listen. I don't know what's going on up there. I don't. I don't ask Bruce. But in my head, the writers probably weren't watching the show because they knew Vince wasn't. And now that they know Hunter was so involved in NXT and saw so many of his characters just changed on their very first appearance, and you know his one of his very best friends is running it. I got to think that maybe the writers are more invested well in what's it should going just on. it should be a requirement yeah 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 it just should be a requirement even if they sit together and fast forward through the commercials and you and you fast forward through a promo here and there well, let's put the guys together for 75 minutes to watch a 2 hour show so they keep up on what's working and why it's working yeah no i totally agree uh, Meltzer would say you guys had an excellent brawl. There were very loud ECW chants when F- Cactus first came out. Jack took all the hellacious bumps. Helmsley took great bumps himself. And they brought out a gimmick table, and Helmsley went for the pedigree, but Jack gave him a low blow and a pile driver through the table for the pin. It wasn't a gimmick table. Talk to me about the table, because it looks totally different. It was a cheap, I guess it was a cheaper wood, and I don't know if any of us knew that. Like, there is a table uh, during uh, Spring Stampede with me and Max against the Nasty Boys that breaks. It wasn't gimmicked. It was just not a table made to support 600 pounds. Well, most aren't. <laughs> most most are made to sit and eat or do a little a light work on. Or yeah, some yeah. Desk work. But 300 pounds, pile drivers, things like that. So I remember that uh, that table shaking, but it wasn't it wasn't gimmicked. Uh, I don't know how you would go about gimmicking something where it will support 
Six hundred. Well, I mean, yeah. that court case about five forty. You know, Whatever it is, a lot of weight. But then it will give during the the pile driver part of it. So no, it wasn't wasn't gimmicked. It just was probably not the quality that some of them have been. So there's your headline. Mick Foley says Dave Meltzer got it wrong. <laughs> uh, hey, so I want to ask this this Monday Night Raw from MSG Man. What a memorable show. Yeah. Not just for Cactus Jack, but it's where Stone Cold would stun Vince McMahon and get arrested. And it's famously the show where right before they go on the air, Vince meets with Brett and tells him, I can't afford your contract. See if WCW will get you your old offer back from a year prior. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, when did the locker room or when did you hear that Brett had been told go negotiate with WCW? I don't believe it was that night. Yeah. So it's probably something that started making the rounds within a couple of weeks because they'd done that really dramatic build where they, uh, yeah. just like six months earlier where we went over time and they showed Vince, you know, like he's going to, Brett's going to come out and make his decision. It was the prior October. Yeah. So yeah. it was 11 months prior. Okay. And now it's the 20 year deal. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. 20 year deal. And now 11 months later. Can't afford it. Can't do it. Give an indication of, you know, how much we were depending on Steve. Yes. You know, payoffs were pretty good, but uh, 97 wasn't like a banner year. No. You know, for me. WCW's firmly in control then. Yeah. They're the number one organization. Yeah. We're playing catch-up ball, and it's always been fascinating to look back and, and think about, here we are in September telling Brett we can't afford him. Tyson's here in January. Um. No, don't get me wrong. That's a gamble and uh, calculated risk, I think, is what Vince would call it. But still, he's a beloved figure and the world champion. And you're mm-hmm. at, you're doing a Monday Night Raw at Madison Square Garden for the first time ever. And there's been so many shows that happened at MSG. I think fans kind of forget that's the first Monday Night Raw. I didn't there. know that. I didn't. I mean, know. yeah, they ran New York a lot, but they ran Manhattan Center, right. smaller buildings. But this is a big deal because the rent's so expensive. So expensive. And to hear, while you know we're in the most expensive building in America, we can't afford your contract, when he's been white hot all summer. Yeah, yes. It's got to be. professional. Yes. Loves the company. Uh, you know, I ran into Natty a few weeks ago on a show I may or may not be. That you can't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> you saw her once recently. Recently. So yeah. I saw her in passing. Talked for about four hours. Uh <laughs> But I'm not at liberty to <laughs> discuss that yet. Well, I uh, I had a lot of fun talking about Cactus Jack <laughs> and his debut here. I mean, it's got to be a big moment for you. You probably never imagined that we would see Cactus Jack in the WWF. But to your point, without Dude Love, it probably wouldn't have happened. And without Dude Love sucking by design, which yes. is the ongoing theme is, uh, yeah, it's a time and a place for everyone, and uh, I, I just I don't I won't reiterate. But there's the not every match has to be a great match to move a character forward. Well, uh, every uh, every cameo has to be a great cameo, and we're at that part of the show where we would normally do a cameo, but we don't help. have one to do. So we need your help, guys. We Tell them what help. to do to Mick. Uh, tell them what to do, man. You know, just uh, if you want to have it performed on air, uh, make a request. In this case, you know, I, I was I just stopped off uh, quickly 
posted something about 30 minutes before I got here. I don't know. Let me see. Uh, let me check the Foley phone. Perhaps there is a, a candidate out there. Come on. Uh, but I love doing these things. Uh, and I think it shows. Once I got to tell you, Conrad, once we get into December, if I don't start get flooded, if I don't get flooded, I'm going to be upset. So just giving you guys like three months notice, okay, 10 weeks notice that I am expecting some uh, some results. Are we going to get some Santa appearances maybe? I can't I can't make Santa happen. I don't have the uh, the beard anymore. I have got a theatrical beard, but that's a whole process and I just it sounds really strange. I can't risk even for the benefit of, you know, our thousands and thousands of listeners. I can't I can't risk a child who is part of the uh, experience. A, the experience, you know, that's uh, I don't want to do. That's why I backed off on all the WWE stuff because I realized, hey, I worked really hard to earn that privilege of you know of being in a hospital room where uh, the presentation is good enough to where I could be the real guy. Uh, okay. You know, when you get that was the real Santa. That's like someone, an old grizzled veteran, saying you're a hell of a worker, kid. Yes. And I did not want to give that up in order to be the TV guy. Like I got my priorities straight. And so, uh, I don't, I don't really mix them, but I will. But hey, mankind singing jolly old St. Nicholas, I swear to you, he's so earnest in his delivery. It made my wife cry on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. I delivered one and she goes, that's really beautiful, Mick. Not the voice, but the sincerity of dude. And that's a public access song because it's so old that I can, you know, use the music yeah. legally, but I love doing it. And I think it shows. And let's see if we have, it's going to be a big blow against Foley. If we don't have a candidate here, but we do not, I'm all caught up. So, uh, in weeks to come, Foley.cameo.com slash Mick Foley. And we'll make it happen. You just nailed your delivery. On the fanny pack. Have you done that before? As a, <laughs> nah. a, a fanny pack. I mean, how many years have you been rocking a fanny pack? When do you think you started? I, I took a 10 year break. Okay. And it was literally, I, I went like most of the guys, you know, broke in. I broke in in 85, gave it up somewhere around uh, 2000, you know, and one, you know, one somewhere around there because it was thought to be an eyesore and it yeah. was. And it wasn't until I was watching the WWE Network and they had a list of top 10 tag teams. And The Rock and I somehow came in at like number five, despite only teaming up for six weeks. Yeah. And every image they showed was showed, featured a worse and worse fashion faux pas. And I just said in the middle of the living room, I might as well go back to the fanny pack. It's not like it's ruining one of the looks I've worked so hard on. And at that point, I believe I, you know, I had like, a cowboy boot I'd have my wallet in, you know, like I don't know where people store this stuff. I need to be able to put a week's worth of luggage around my waist. And uh, so I went to the pack, I went back to the pack and never looked back. You ever going to bring back the Halliburton? Well, right now I've got my daughter, Noelle Stormtrooper. Can we? Yes, can we let's show, show that. that. Because every time you bring it in, I can't help but smile. <laughs> so this is on loan. One of the uh, rigors of the road is that we beat on these yes. suitcases. I yes. mean, literally, you know, in two months, you're getting the type of use that a normal vacationer would get in 10, years. 15 years. Yeah. And the uh, telescoping handle tends to become a thing of history. So you're either in the airport and that thing doesn't go down or it just breaks in half. 
And now you've got to carry that bag that until sucks. you get to the next store. Yeah. So you, I don't invest too much. Maybe I would have been wiser getting a Halliburton just from the get-go. But, you know, they, they take a beating. They really do. And so um, I'm glad my daughter was there just in the mick of time with a uh, bag. In the mick of time. In the mick of time, yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that could have been a luggage commercial. So if you have an ad agency uh, and you're looking for some ex- uh, exposure, we got you right here. Is this product placement? Yes. All right. Yeah. If it's product placement, I might as well just uh, try. Yeah, help our man out one last time. Next week, we're going to, we had a lot of fun talking today about a great time in your career. Next week, we're going to talk about somebody you had a lot of fun with, Mr. Brian Pillman. Let's do it. We'll see you next week right here on Foley's Pod.